Golade presents the Talking Bollocks podcast. Bill, uh, 2022 has seen our biggest growth, so there's a lot of p- new listeners on board, uh, people from all over the world, um, but yeah, here we are, episode 105. Am I supposed to talk in this at all? I haven't said that, what am I supposed to do? Well, it'll help if you talk, because that's usually how podcasts work, I talk, you talk, this is how co-hosts go back and forth, you know what I mean? Right, what's the first clip I'm going to listen to then? Uh, the first clip is from the episode with Demo Dempsey. So, one of how, our biggest of the year. Yeah, one of them. Um, how did we get this one? A bit of insight into this. Demo, we were chasing Demo up for months. Uh, you had a contact for him. I had an email for him. The man doesn't have a phone. He's you, living in the Stone Age. You knew his best mate, though, wasn't it? Sparky. Sparky, yeah. Sparky got us in contact. And then he came back to Sparky then, wasn't he? And he came back and said he thinks we're great. Yeah. That he'd like to do it. And, and then I think we, got we a found out concert. Yeah, I think we found out in May or June that he was coming on in like September the twentieth, and we were like, "Yeah, no problem. If that's as soon as you can do it, yeah, no problem." Yeah, we didn't give a bollocks no. how long it was going to be. It was them of Lady Dempsey coming in, and we had people hounding us. Like it started like about about ten or fifteen episodes in. I remember it being that early. Yeah, and pe- people one. started to mention his name, been like demo, 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 and then we finally got. What episode was that? Tom O'Carty was the first one who probably threatened us to get like him on. he threatened us. We got a few threats, actually, before he came on, but yeah, it was polite at first, then Tom O'Threatened us, and we were like, right, let's just get him. Yeah, and we actually went the same last week as well, so that's something that I think you should add to his bucket list, go and see Demo in Vicar Street at some stage whenever he's playing. Yeah, it's really special. Them gigs, there's something about them. So uh, we end up getting our own personal gig, and here's a little, I don't know, snippet, if that's what you want to call it, but here's a, a bit from... Demo Demos, Demo Demos, Demo Dempsey's Demo episode. Demo Demo, <laughs> Remixing it and all I am. Demo Demo. Testing, right. testing. <laughs> right, jump straight to the clip show. Go on. Bill. Go down, go down, come you mentioned Chris and Stevie there. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of background to the song? I was about two friends of mine who uh, never told anybody, you know, how, how bad they were feeling. And... Uh, you know, they should be still around, you know, but uh, I think if maybe if they had to reach out to somebody and told them, they might be still here. So uh, that's what it is. It's telling people to reach out. Just just say it to, just say it to someone you trust or love. Listen, what, what do you do for your head, you know? What's a good what's a good way to, you know, clear your head? That's what I, that's what I said to my mother and my teens. I just said, man, what, what do you recommend for the head? You know, my head isn't right. I didn't let her know how badly depressed I was, you know. I was really badly depressed. Very bad. But she just, uh, she just said meditation, you know. I done that and it really helped. But as soon as you say it, you don't feel so alone anymore, you know. So anybody out there, you know, you're feeling very bad, very down, just say it to someone you trust or love. Just ask them, what would you do for the, you know, cluttered head or 
what do you do when you get a bit bogged down? Just ask them. Do it tonight. And, uh, you know, it's a problem. Shared is a problem halved, you know? Definitely. And the people who love you deserve for you to tell them, you know, if you're not feeling right. They deserve for you to say to them. So, uh, I'll give the song a lecture, Please, damn. Could be a few tears shed here, boys. My buddy Stevie, I loved him well. We had some laugh. He was sound as a bell Our little lives They ran parallel He played with fire And got burnt as hell And I'm remembering Little things we don't We'd bonk the train out to the beach in the sun We'd steal some mice pops and laughing run In through the sand dunes with finger guns But one day Stevie, he got the bitten by a bug he was fascinated by the life of the thug He felt a weakling and he craved some power But the thug's existence consumed on sour Buddy Chris, he was quiet but tough And to his face you wouldn't call him a puff We'd done the boxing and had many's the scrap To this young warrior I'll tip my cap In Celtic times it's wasn't seen as wrong Till the Roman Empire With the shame came along They called this love evil And they done much harm But if you're hurting no one You'll be in God's arms Well, Chris and Stevie I miss you both Two more young people cut down from a rope And it breaks my heart that you went so far To 
To all you people Be proud of who you County House. Powerful that one, isn't it? Thanks, lads. Nice one. Thanks, Samuel. Fucking oh, hell. Um, I'll write a happy song one of these days. I'm a fuck off. As my old always says, the daddy, there's Mr. Happy. Look, right, my fucking happy songs. <laughs> Write some good songs, will you, for fuck's sake? <laughs> Stick a cucumber down your trousers, sell yourself for fuck's sake, will you? Make some hits. 
Oh, a powerful message in that song, Nemo. Um, yeah, it's a message that we really we try and push on the podcast. Sure, mm. you know what I mean. Like we act up all actually a lot of the time, and and we do get down and deep sometimes as well. But the be all and end all of the podcast is to get that message out. Sure, it's the talk. Yeah, yeah. It's people willing to listen. It's people, people who want you here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now you're worth, you are, you're worth something. There's no, no one out there that's worth nothing. Absolutely, yeah. That's the problem. You think you're worth nothing. Mm. People don't realise how much people love them. Yeah. It's 2022, you don't need to be going through this stuff on your own either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah. we were talking about recently enough, we said like, I, what I think happens to a lot of people is they think no one else knows how they feel. Yeah. Not realising. It's a lot more common than you think. Yeah. If you had a pain in your bleeding shoulder, you'd go around telling everyone about it. My fucking shoulder's killing me. Yeah, you'd be telling everybody. You, know, you need to let people know. If you're going to the doctor with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give yourself the best chance as well. Tell people and do stuff to prevent it, you know. There's lifestyle choices you can make. A lot of people look to the bag, look to the to the bottles. That stuff is only going to fucking... It's only hinder you. It's not going to help. Make it worse, isn't it? Mm, make it worse. Mm. multiply the... Yeah. Yeah, so uh, talk to someone... Look after yourself, look after your software, your software looks after the hardware and vice versa. Give yourself every best chance. Yeah. And there is people out there willing to listen and you know, award something. Loads of them. Mm. Yeah, that's why we need real people like you, Damo, spreading yeah. that message. Thanks, Damo. On yourselves. Because Thanks, lads. through music as well, though we know how music, what it does to people. Yeah. It really brings something out in you and I think we don't have enough songs like that enough real people like that we have some good people coming through and we've had we've had you and we've had Aslan and we have Kieran Morton coming through as well Kieran, <laughs> also, Kieran's brilliant too he's brilliant he's yeah. the backup for you as well I think uh, a couple of gigs yeah. and Aslan gave me uh, one of my four shots as well you know mm. and the point that buddy got me on before them you know yeah so. they're brilliant amazing you talked about your own depression there before we got into that Damo I'm not sure if you want to uh, I have an overactive mind. I was smoking, uh, my sort of smoking at just the, the ganji, you know. <laughs> so I was just trying to keep up with them and uh, I couldn't really, you know. I was trying to, you know. Yeah. The ego. Trying to, uh, but uh, my head was fucking going all over the gaff, you know. Whereas they were just getting buzz out of it and just listening to Bob Marley. My head was fucking racing, going off in all directions and going into dark places. And so uh, I just went there, went uh, really down. Doesn't agree with a lot of people down on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in them situations. Yeah, yeah. Like I have a certain type of mind that can be send you fucking to a very dark place. You're big into the sea swims, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think loads of stuff. Like you can't get any closer to the mother nature when you're up to your neck on her. Mm-hmm. Great way of saying it. Yeah. You're up to your neck on her. Up to your neck on her, yeah. <laughs> It is, the sea swimming as well is really, really good for the old yeah. mental health That's for the head, brilliant. isn't it? At the ground and getting your feet on, on the earth as well, you know, touching the earth. You never really touch the earth anymore. Mm-hmm. Kids, you know. But just touching the phone, they should be, uh, I don't know, even they say even gardening, touching the earth, opening up the soil, and Or sea swimming or something like that, or getting to the park and getting your shoes and socks off and getting, the, getting your feet on the ground. 
Shields and Stockings, we used to call it Stockings. I call them Stockings, yeah. Yeah, people are slagging me over that. Yeah. Never said fucking socks, that's American. Socks. Yeah. Stockings and people say, what, Stockings? What, you wore Stockings, did you? So not them fucking Stockings with the blade suspenders. Yeah. That's what he thought I meant. We always wore Stockings in the 80s, they're going, what? Kinky bastards. Yeah, you're big into nature, like. Nature, yeah, yeah. Do you hike a lot? Uh, go to the, yeah, go to the mountains, uh, just into the woods. We sort of divorce from nature, you know? Mm. Yeah. You get back to nature, you just feel so much better, I think. Yeah. Even to a park, even with trees, you know? Just be under a tree for a while. Anywhere you can get a bit of nature, it's great. Loving an old hike myself now. Glen the Lock is lethal, I don't That's care. Magic. It's on yeah. your doorstep yeah. and it's lethal. So is hot as well, though, you yeah. know, because you start yeah. off... Absolutely. the left side you come around then you see the whole lot of leading towards down there Magic, the mountains it? and all it's fucking lovely I'm yeah. blessed here for that and uh, I do I have five yoga meals simple meals I do in the morning I do them five times each then you lie down do the breathing and then try to meditate for about two minutes great keep it simple like yeah, and you just have to practice it hmm. have to practice meditation you know you can't just it's not going to work the first few times just have to, if you do it three times a week for five minutes you know you get hmm. it so it's such a simplistic thing. You don't need that, neither. Yeah. When you stop no, your mind, yeah. the, the buzz you get, you can feel the fucking spirit inside you, you know? You feel the, the spirit within. You really can. What was the biggest moment of your career, Damon? So far? Ah, it's when people like, come up to you and say that that song saved me life, you know? I was going through a horrible time, that song. I'd play that song again and again, or that album again and again. And it uh, really uh, got me through that hard time, you know? Or it saved me life, or got me over, you know, a bad place in my head, you know? That's always the... Uh, the best moments. Yeah. I knew you'd say something like that. Yeah, it's deadly. You're you're a man of the people though, aren't you? You're all about giving back. That's something that I noticed with you. Um, I hope you don't mind me bringing them up, but you talked about your dad there and how like, the comedic value we had. Yeah. And when, am I right saying, was, was it December last year you lost your dad? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, because I remember you mentioned that in Vicar Street. Yeah. I remember thinking fucking fair play to him like you know what I mean going through that and he's still up on that stage and it's like but you kind of knew you had like a duty to give to the people and I was like that's so selfless that's such an act you know what I mean yeah um, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's what I it's, it's what him, him and my mother put me here to do really. that's what I think hmm. was he a big uh, influence on you Damo ah uh, yeah absolutely yeah um, toughen me up now you know toughen me up <laughs> Reality checks out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, he was from Pierce House down there in the case, you know. Yeah. A uh, block of flats, but uh, they moved out to Irish. They got transferred out of flats out to, out to Irish town because they're having a row with some other family. And it was more the other family than them. Yeah. The big mill that was. So, so, some, of the, the, some of the older guys still remember the big fight in Pierce House, but uh, they got transferred then anyway. It's one way of getting a transfer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a house in the garden. <laughs> <out in Irish>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I was just about to go on stage and other voices, the 20th anniversary of other voices, and uh, just I just got a text, very sorry to hear. He's just he's at that dying, you know. So, oh my Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? Go on stage and sing him across, sing him across the Great Divide, you know, sing him across. So I told nobody and just didn't tell the band, just got on fucking sang. Like there was no tomorrow, sang him across, you know. I was singing to him, you know, on his way across the Great Divide. And uh, he died uh, in the Matter Hospital too, too uh, during the song. Uh, they were playing music for him. Uh, it was the song, Time to Say Goodbye. Great song. Yeah, beautiful song, isn't it? Mm. And, I, and I, was, uh, 
I was down the the, the uh, local pub the next night uh, writing the eulogy. Uh, just uh, trying to get a few good words to say, you know. And uh, it's full of old men where I drink, you know. Big bleeding Guinness bellies and Guinness farts. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's about one or two uh, women from town, actually, that they drink in there. They're lovely people, you know. But uh, I feel like a spring chicken in there, you know. That's why you go in there. <laughs> and nobody gives a fuck who you are. Like, yeah. it's all, the, all the old crew. But uh, there was this woman in there sitting across me, you know. The next day after he died, it's all elegant, you know, with a, with a friend of hers and said, what the fuck is she doing in here? She was sort of olive skinned, looked uh, foreign, you know. I found out later she was Italian, but she started, she just broke into song at about nine o'clock and started singing Time to Say Goodbye. I was going, uh, here. Mm-hmm. I never heard that song sang anywhere, you know, only for, for your man, Andrea Bocelli. So that was a, a nudge for me though, I think, you know. Keep the faith, I'm all right, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there fucking singing the song now? Ball and crying. <laughs> uh, might as well just take that moment. Give me that shout out. It's his birthday today as well. Happy birthday, big man. He's basically my dad as well. What's happening? Oh, lovely. Yeah, I need one. I lost Happy one birthday, Mr. Calvin. Hey, Mr. Calvin. Mr. Klein, happy birthday. Yeah. What's, Aiden. what's his name? Aiden. Aiden, happy birthday, man. Yeah. Many more, many happy returns. Yeah. And this is uh, my man dad's anniversary as well today, so. I love it. to go over to the gaff after this, Turnson. Yeah. Cup of Bruce Lee. Yeah, sure. We'll have something for him. Yeah. <laughs> little present for him, or else we got a box on him. What's the roses? Yeah, I was in the gaff there the other week. I was, I do pop in every so I do even go into his ma's and dad's gaff, and even yeah, when he's not there. St- I'll never forget, Stephen to stay rang me, right? He's be wearing their clothes now, is he? <laughs> Stephen to stay rang me, I was at home, and uh, I was like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? I was a bit groggy, and I was looking, I was like, that looks like my ma's kitchen. <laughs> he's sitting there having a cup of tea with me, brother. He's like, yeah, where do you go? I was like, I'm out in my gaff, and he's like, right, I'm downing that ma's. <laughs> oh, they just pop in every so often, and we were in there. We were in there. Every time I'm in there, I'm eating something out of the presses, or they're putting something on. And oh, you're eating his dinner, eh? Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. I was eating a few kilkies there the other night, and his dad walked in, just walks up to me and goes, Eating again, are you? <laughs> you know, some celebrity, I believe, milch are you? <laughs> just walked out then, yeah. Oh, he says, Yeah. I'm in another kilkie. So, shout out to Aiden, happy birthday, mate. Fresh mm. as a flower. Um, There's another singer. Is it cookies or cookies? You know, I'm a cunt for a dime. I deal with the bilkies, cookies, cookies, cookies. Yeah, cookies. Yeah. I'm the same. Yeah, I'm a bloody nightmare. And people give me stick over it. Oh, bilk. Like, fuck off, you will. Yeah, I hate when someone calls out on a word and you're like, you'd be paroled this early again. Yeah, do you know what I, mean? I think bilk sounds better than book. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You're really bleeding emphasis to two O's. Bilk. That's the way I say trauma. And people yeah, always call me gives me anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And then that thing where you get that uh, spicy stuff, that spicy sausage, chorizo. Chorizo? What's the what? other word for chorizo? Chorizo or something like that. Chorizo, yeah. 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 We put a tea in there, yeah? Chorizo. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we at the end of the road, boys? Oh, probably. Demo, you're prob- probably sick of us now, are you? He's definitely sick yeah, of us. Not at all, not at all. Have you had the plug or anything, Demo? Eh... Uh, uh, Galway Limerick on the Galway Limerick, yeah, in uh, December. Brilliant. The milk market in Galway, the big tent, the, the big top in Galway, and the sorry, yeah, the big top in Limerick and the what's it called, the black box in Galway. Right. Right. So good on to that, people. Yeah, There's a, another Vicar Street coming on sale the seventeenth of uh, December. 
as well. So what are you doing the, that week right up to Christmas then, pretty much? Yeah. So you won't get your out of kip? No. Probably having Christmas dinner <laughs> and all in it. I'll be sitting there in slippers and I'll have been yeah. boys on stage. Yeah. <laughs> as well, shout out to Sparky. Yeah. Um, up, yeah. Sparky, brilliant. Thanks, Sparky. Sparky's yeah. the go. Fair play. You know, he's one for that as well. Um, right. The Angel of Ballymore. Right. Yeah. Damon, can you do me the biggest of favour? You play Terence's favourite song. Can you play us out the my favourite song? No. Of course. Of course. But you just have to sing if I do it, you know? You'll have to do with the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? There's not much pipes involved in this one. Pipe part of the start, you'll have to do it. We'll do it with you. Right. What, where's the... Is any uh, background or inspo behind this one? Because I think everyone can relate to it, you know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. been in this situation where they go out, they go on the rip, they think that they're bleeding king of the world and then you're like, bollocks, I'm fucking yeah. hiding under a rock now for the rest of the fucking week. Yeah. It's always, yeah. I'm off it, I'm off it and then Friday rolls back around and you're back on the train. That's it, yeah. I remember that I, I, used, to, I used to go to the drives and all, you know. Yeah. I started to meet teens but uh, I just rem- <laughs> I remember like, uh, I used to think if fucking Joseph Stalin walked in here now on the dance floor, he'd be fucking hugging him and kissing him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, if you saw Gandhi, you'd fucking cross the street to avoid him. Oh, yeah. I don't want to talk. I can't, I can't talk to anybody. <laughs> just the difference in you know what I mean? the difference in your mood. It was just, uh, it was just fucking such a fucking roller coaster, you know. Yeah. Mm. I, there's one line in it, and I swear I laugh every time I hear that. Right? <laughs> and it's and the strangers who barely six hours ago were the best friends I thought I'd ever known. <laughs> now they're strangers again because I'm down and I won't say hello when I see them in town. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking true. So many people will be like, mm. oh, what's the story? And they're like, oh, hell yeah. And I was like, yeah. fucking come was born in the air on me last night. <laughs> Doesn't want to know me today. I know, it's bad, isn't it? It's that falseness of the, 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 the chemical high, you know? Yeah. It's how false it can be. Like, then you're just like in the depths of depression then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. Yes, Damon. You're up, Damon. Right, I'll have to go wow instead of the fucking little pipes, but... Okay, fuck it, You put me on the spot here, but fuck <laughs> Ah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try it. Let me try that again. How the fuck am I going to do this? I'll try and play the fucking thing. Play the guitar then, for fuck's sake, will you? A child and a glee. If you splurge, then I know you'll agree. Don't you win to a shell of what you used to be? Other weeks, you're living in the fantasy. On the size, but the party to come. Day to day, like the to see for. 
wrong I'm not telling you how to do your thing I'm just laying down some facts about indulging How the shit going round can be calm Your control or dictator your war oh, ah, I'm keeping it up by swear In the new year No more of that for me You'll see So long ago you felt like a king Someone gave my psychiatrist a ring I'm no bread and the fear that get branded All alone in a room full of beheads Feel so hollow and sickly I'm worthless There's no cure in the mosques or the churches I'm a stranger she barely six hours ago We're the best friends I thought that the devil know Now the strangers again cause I'm down and I won't say hello If I see them in town Oh, 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 oh. Ah, I'm keeping it up I swear In the new year no more of that Damo Dempsey, um, absolute gent of a fella, one of the most ordinary down to earth people ever me. You'd never think he has a, such a cult following, and he's probably the biggest perfectionist I've ever met as well. I know we said this before, but I think he done about six or seven songs, but he done them six or seven songs six or seven times, and he'd no problem. You know when someone comes in, you're like, oh, will we get him to sing? Will we get him to sing? Look, you remember? He was because he was back and forth with you about like when am I coming in, what time, and we were like, right, we're, we're just at the getting him now. It's a bit too much to ask for him to sing. Like, how the fuck are we gonna get him how to sing? How do you ask him to bring the guitar? Like, and he goes, I'll bring the guitar. And we were like, lovely, he's had to do that for us. And then when he done, well, Apple and Mioi, I think, was the one where he was like, lads, can I hear that back? 
Yeah. And we went down to like the little room with the producers and stuff. Uh, and they played it back for him and it was like it was absolutely perfect. And then he's like, nah, need to do that again. I don't like bum notes. We were like, what the fuck? And like I felt bad asking him even to do a song. I felt a bit cheeky being like, can we ask you to sing certain songs? And he said, you can ask me to sing what you want. And then we were like, grand. And then when I heard him playing, playing back the audio, like pausing the whole podcast, playing back the audio, I'm like, no, I'm doing that again. I was like, oh... Like, this is a different kettle of fish, this fella's like... Yeah, he's a proper perfectionist. Yeah, like, he's proud of what he's putting out there. He's and he's like, the his mind. <laughs> like, no, it's on your time, pal. It's on your time. We'll go away. But he was a buzzer as well. Like, mm. I know he was, uh, took him took him a few minutes to warm into the idea of the podcast, which is, like, no exception to anyone else, really, because a lot of people are the same. But when you see him on the stage, he's a bleeding, he's a mad cunt on the stage. Like, the stuff he does be coming out with. Yeah. He's a buzzer, like, you know what I mean? And he was a buzzer when he was in here. But um, yeah, that was so. That was Damon. Moving on to the next clip. The next clip is going to be John Connors. That's another one of our biggest episodes of yeah. the year, um, of all time, probably. Yeah, no, it is definitely. Uh, John is a cardigan himself. Remember the first time you met John was when we were doing that show room up in the Hellfire Club. Yeah, and obviously he had, he's a fellow who has a lot of controversy following him. So yeah, like. Wow, wow, I wonder what he's going to be like. You know what I mean? Comes across as this angry fella, but he's one of the boys. Like he is from Barndale, and he is. Like, you know what I mean? He's exactly yeah, like all the boys from Barndale. He was so intelligent as well. Do you remember the conf- the fo- like the first conversation we had when we just stood around chatting, and he was asking us how the podcast is going and all, and then we just got into these mad conversations, and like he was so intelligent. The only thing I could think of was this fella would be lethal on the podcast. Yeah, and then we got him for the live show. That yeah. was forced, wasn't it? Yeah, the live show, yeah. And he came out and slapped Mark O'Neill. Yeah. Early doors. Leather him over. Yeah, and then just took over the whole live show, blew the roof off the place. So we were like, we need to do a full episode. Yeah, so we knew in that, what, like 15, 20 minutes on the live show and how how well he articulates himself. Yeah. Like when, he, when he has a point to make, he makes it brilliantly. And I'm like, Jesus, let's get a proper episode with him now. And I think that episode's like two hours long. Yeah, And it, I, it could have been longer. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're going to hear the clip now but you're not going to hear obviously the whole episode in this clip but I would recommend if you haven't listened to it to go over and listen to it because it is one of our biggest episodes and the numbers are there for a reason and he makes a lot of points um, he's had a wide range of topics as well he covers a lot of stuff um, he's a funny fella very funny fella Yeah. Um, so knowledgeable and I, I know obviously he's going to be knowledgeable about films but he knows so much about films and if like you, you ask him what's his favourite film and why he fucking how he breaks everything down the deep deadly. dive into it yeah. yeah it's deadly it's not just like this is my favourite film because it's funny it's like no I like this comedic performance because this is what he's trying to portray and you're like Jesus this fella he knows what he's doing like mm. but uh, yeah so here it is John Connors I knew two of my great grandmothers um, my Margo McCarthy and then my other one Nan McCann now Nan McCann. They're great names, yeah, by the way. Nan McCann, she was... She, she, in 1952, her husband, my great-grandfather, old John Donahue, was kicked to death by the B-Specials, right, in a prison cell. Just took out of the Republican Party and kicked to death. He was on a bike. And the next day, they went over, uh, the police went over to B-Specials and ran all my family off the campsite so they wouldn't press charges. So what happened was Nan went back on the road with all her children, loads of children, 12 children, and she had a big steal and borrow just to keep them alive, right? And she ended up doing nine months in prison for, for robbing copper or spuds or both. 
and just to keep the children alive again and putting the family back over to the other family to look after and all this. But she rears the children to be staunch Republicans, obviously, with the father being kicked to death by the B-specials, the, essentially the, the, the British. So what happened was, Dee grew up to be staunch. And even in 1981, I remember, she was, she was staunch. 1981, I was told about this, and when Bobby Sands died, she burned her wagon to the ground with all her belongings in honour of Bobby Sands and walked around the site for a week with it in a shawl. It's the kind of woman she was, right? Now, I remember she was really like, she'd say things like, like she was, you know, like she wouldn't be very conservative. Like she'd say to me, mother and other aunts who maybe their husbands were dead or, or divorced, she'd be saying, why don't you go get yourself a, a strong Sheriff Street man, a big baldy fella, they're hardy men. You know, these kind of things that a, a travel woman of that generation wouldn't say. Yeah. Her daughter, my grandmother Chrissy, would be saying, mom, will you shut up saying them things? Yeah. And she ah, fuck off. She was that kind of woman, you know. And she ended, she ended up having to stop her drinking. She loved drinking Guinness, right? And she was dying at uh, 80 years of age. She was dying and and she was in the hospital. And people who work in hospitals hate travelers. And I wouldn't blame them because if a traveler goes to the hospital and it's uh, relatively anyway, if it's anyway, but if it's anyway serious, every traveler they've ever met goes to that hospital. Yeah. It's a respect <laughs> thing. Every person, fellas they barely know, like just met him once. You know what I mean? A friend of a friend, a cousin of a cousin. So... Everybody descended into the hospital, right? And I was at the very front because I was the great-grandchild and then there was grandchildren and so on and so forth. And yeah, please fill me up, bro. So she was sitting down, she was lying down and she was, her eyes were closed and she was dying and she got her last rites by the priest. And the doctor said, look, that's it, like, she's, she's gone, you know? And me uncle, whose name is Brother, nickname, ironically, Brother, because travelers all have the same name, Michael, Martin, Patrick, John, whatever. So we have to give <laughs> nicknames in order to distinguish, it's like the mafia, right? So... He says, doctor, he says, do you mind if I go and get her a few cans of Guinness? Because she loved her Guinness. And she gave them up, you know. And he went, look, Michael, if she's still alive by the time you get back, sure. I just gave him a D4 accent. I don't know why. It must yeah. have been, it could have been from Typecasting doctors, yeah. Yeah. All right, bro, if he comes back, you know. So, so anyway, he goes and I go with him and we get the Guinness. And we come back and he's like a fucking hero with these Guinness, right? And he gets pint glass and he opens up the Guinness. And he says, Granny, can I, can I give you a Guinness, you know? And his, his mother, uh, my great-granny's uh, daughter, Chrissy, saying, stop, let her die, let her go, let her go, you know? It's, and it's going, let me try, will you just let me try? She loved Guinness, the woman loved Guinness, will you let me try? And he's trying to get through to her, right? So he does a pour, two-point pour course, and gives it over to her lips, and she takes a little sup of the Guinness, and takes another little sup of the Guinness, takes another sup, another sup, and she eventually drinks... A full pint of Guinness in about a half an hour. And what happens is when people die, they get a last lease of life. I swear to God, this is the truth. Because I've seen it with my grandfather, the last lease, you think they're back to life, yeah? So he goes, second one, two pint pour, brings it back, Granny's one, another one. And she shakes her head. <laughs> and he goes, okay, I'll try. And people look, hmm, interesting, last lease of life and all that stuff. Another Guinness, 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 second pint. Granny, do you want a third Guinness? <laughs> two pint pour. Yeah, 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 son. Oh, okay. Third Guinness slaughters it. <laughs> Granny, do you want a fourth Guinness? <laughs> I do, son. I'd love another Guinness. People are going, what the fuck? Like, people are going, this is mad. And she goes, has anybody any old rebel tapes in their car? Because she loved rebel music. So every man in that room, with the exception of my uncle, Nick Dan, brother, ran to the cars in the car packs to get their first wolf tone fucking CD, yeah, Air Rogue and all that shit. Yeah. They all came back, someone fucking robbed the stereo from one of the nurses, you know, or borrowed it, <laughs> and uh, put on the, Re the, the Rebel CD. So you drank another Guinness or 50 Guinness, 
And she said, lift me up. And he lifted her up, right? And then he went, Granny, do you want another Guinness? The last can, like, yes, yeah, son. And she got up and she started dancing. And she lived six more years. Fuck off! Whoa. Yeah. That's the power of the mind, man. That's, That's fucking, fucking deadly. Fact. I was there. Six, yeah. Famous story within my family. I have it in my film, uh, Minkair's Wedding, which I'm going to make next year. That means Traveller's Talking. Uh, I wrote it in, in the script. That's, she lived six more years till 86 years of age, which in settled years is about 200. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great advertisement for Guinness. That's fucking mad. Guinness, if you're listening out there, fund the fucking film. That's fucking it's a, madness. It's a, that's, that's a fact. That's a fact, man, yeah. That is but a great just, story. Isn't that, like, that's a great example of the, the absolute power of the human mind and what it can actually overcome. I heard so many stories like that. She was deprived of her Guinness that yeah. she loved for years, you know. And something switched. It's not about the Guinness, but it is about the Guinness. Guinness, but it's not about <laughs> the, it's not about the Guinness. It's that thing that there was the that she the was the purpose, like the purpose. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, going, oh, get me a Guinness again, and that was it. She lived six more years. Because I heard of someone who only died recently, and they used to like go to shop every day and mm. like get the same thing and come back, but they fell ill or something like that. And the doctor says you. Yeah, they're old and you have to stop doing that and they did and they were dead in two months yeah. Yeah. and someone says they used to do that daily routine and that was gone and you heard so many cases of elderly people as well they'd be told to stop smoking or drinking or something like that and then they stop and then they deteriorate Absolutely, yeah. which is yeah. very strange because you're like it, that stuff is yeah, scientifically yeah. killing you Yeah, because yeah. we haven't got a grasp on the psychology of it all we don't fully yet understand or the neuroscience with all that stuff mm. that happens so much during lockdown you know with old lads in rural Ireland yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they didn't to get the pub, to go to the pub anymore yeah. pub every day and then that's it they all die they're all dying off like because they're, compl- they're lonely lads because mm. loneliness will fucking kill you oh, big time. loneliness is one of the biggest killers out there you know yeah. you, could, you could be fucking surrounded by people and feel like the loneliest person in the fucking room too you know yeah, like definitely. people are actually not connecting with you and that, you see that happening with the elder people at major. Like, we ignore elder people so much to the point where it's like they're, like, like we don't touch them, you know. People are afraid to go and chat them. People are afraid to talk to them. They're afraid they're getting stuck in a chat. Never realising that these people might have lived 80 years, 85 years, and they've this wealth of experience that we can learn from that we're never going to get from any fucking book. Yeah. You know, like, I chat, chat, chatted all my grandparents, like, extensively. I record them for hours. Or every single day I would there to be over with one of my grandparents. And how much I learned about life and, and the lessons of life and where they came from was unbelievable. And like that story, that comes from my great-grandmother. Do you know what I mean? I would know these things. I can go back to 1798 when my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Martin Ward, fought in the 1798 rebellion and built pikes. Now his son, Patrick Ward, went on the road during the so-called famine, which was a forced starvation. And he went into a large castle, a so-called lord, one day. And he was looking for a bit of food in the back of the castle. And this young Catholic girl comes out who would have been just on food or rations to, to stay there. And if you had that job, you, that means you were living, you were alive, you didn't need money, you know. And she'd give him out some of the rations, right? And he took the rations and he ate them. But later that night, the Lord found out and he sacked her, which during the family would mean a death sentence, right? So she goes down the road and she's going down this whole country road and she sees a fire and she sees Patrick Ward, my ancestor. And she goes over to him and he was eating a rabbit and he says, come here, what happened to you? And he, she explains that she was sacked. For feeding him. Like. For feeding him. And he says, look, if a rabbit her, let's eat the fucking rabbit. And he had the rabbit together and he got married. And she's my ancestor. Isn't that mad? It's so, mad how you know that. It's deadly so tracing that it's back. It's the oral history, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, this, all this stuff will get lost if we don't, don't hold on to it, you know? Like, the inner city has, like, an unbelievable history, you know? Yeah. And, like, what the inner city, like, the flats and all that, 
it reminds me of traveller sites because it's like the old Irish two at clan structure because everybody knows everybody and they're either related, second, third, cousins or family yeah, yeah. or they might as well be. Maybe and we always them. give each other a bit of sugar and hay and milk and it's deadly. Like I was up in the Leo Fitzgerald's flats there during COVID and I went down with my friend uh, Stephen Clinch and uh, Stephen's at the past away. God help me a few months ago, a lovely fella. Uh, Stephen was, uh, he was in um, Carbor Gangsters and Love Hate. You'd know him, we've had Noli in Love Hate. Yeah, yeah. no uh, man. And of a story I'd love to tell actually about him. But, uh, but I went down to the flats and I was just seeing, just, this is like the fucking sight. Like everybody's out and everybody, everybody knew each other. You know, and they had this fucking, this intimacy and closeness. And it was just fucking beautiful to see right in the bang in the middle of the city, people who were among the most fucking impoverished and discriminated against from a state level all were still together, you know, in a, in a, in a beautiful way. And actually, Stephen Clinchy, I call him, he got up and sang. He sang a song. Like He would never, he would never uh, turn down any opportunity to, to perform mm. or to show off. He was a real, real show off. Like, um, I remember he did, um, he did a number of films with me and with Peter Coonan. You know Peter Coonan who plays Fran? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So I told the story at his funeral, right? And I'm the only one who knows the story because it started with me and I saw the whole dynamics of the whole thing, right? And I told it at his funeral because I felt I had to tell it and I'll tell you why. Anyway, I'm there and uh, I'm there one day on the campsite and Clinchy comes over to me and it's a Wednesday. Now, why bring Clinchy over to collect his file every Wednesday, right? But I'm clever enough now after a few years of doing it to not not pick him up afterwards because he's out of his fucking head because <laughs> he's done that much fucking fight, right? And he won't stop fucking talking, right? And he's cleaned the gaff a million miles. He's trying to clean my gar yeah. and all this stuff. So I leave him there, right? But a few hours later, he comes back out of his head on the fire, right? And he's like, John, John, what's up, John? I go, oh, he's wrecking me fucking head now, but I can't tell him. He's a good friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. And then I says, right, I know what to do. What happened was I just got the new love-hate scripts Right, and he didn't get them because he was a smaller part. He'd only give them to the leader, leading characters. And I read the script and I seen that Peter Coonan is in the prison and he goes into the shower and like, these fellas attack him, and he smashes them all up, including Clinchy. Now Clinchy, just to put it into context, had been smashed up by Peter Coonan in many films now, maybe six or seven, and Clinchy was sick up of his bollocks of getting smashed <laughs> up by Peter. And I told Clinty, I said, Clinty, see the new script, see what happened, Peter smashes you and two other, three other fellas up. What? No fucking way! And I said, I got him now, at least he leave me, leave me alone, you know? And then I went, hang on, oh shit. I said, don't be ringing Stuart, the lovehead writer. I said, don't be ringing Stuart now. I said, what am I to cause it there? Like, this is blackguard and I'm at the down, right? So anyway, he says, well, no, I promise I won't, I won't, right? So he goes back, already always head on fire, and goes back and slugs eight cans at them and rings Stuart Carnum. Yeah. Stuart, what the fuck? John told me about what happens, blah, 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 blah. And Stuart's going, oh, shit, no. He said, that's fucking unrealistic. I've done 23 years in fucking prison, which he did. And he knows the scene, you know what I mean? And fair play to Stuart, the real open artist that he is. Stuart goes, you know what, Clinchy, you're right. You're right, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't get away with that either. You're right. He says, what will we do? So Clinchy goes, let me fucking rape him. And Stuart goes, oh, would you do that? And he went, yeah. He was looking for his revenge, right? Okay. So Stuart gets on the phone to RT because you have to ask, can I write this in, first of all? Like, and he says, he wants to rain, blah, blah. And he went, no way, no way. No way is that happening. Which I found weird because they allowed the rape uh, with, uh, yeah. with the character of... of uh, the in the back of the pub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was very vicious, you know. But anyway, they, they picked and chose the rapes, of course. So he went back. <laughs> so he went back, went back to Clinchy and he says, listen, he won't allow it, Clinchy. Well, let me stick the pool cue up his arse. So they go back to RTE. And RTE says, yeah, pool cue, no bother, right? 
So anyway, Clint, he's reveling in this. He loves it. He's done it. He's going to stick this straight up and all this. He's telling me all this, you know. It's, it's just to me hilarious, right? So I'm on the set and I'm in the unit base and I look out and I'm smoking a fag and I see Peter Coonan playing Fran, right? And Peter walks over, just watching him walk over and he hasn't seen the new scripts yet because he won't email them to you. They've yeah. given them in person, right? It's so secretive. They're trying to keep the plot um, secret. So he goes over to Edo, the second AD, and he gets the script and he pulls over the scenes and he looks over and he just goes, <gasps> and he's in shock and I start laughing, breaking me bollocks. I know what he's reading, that pool cue is getting shoved up <laughs> his hole, right? So Peter's like, oh, no, no. And he goes next door into the trailer, right? The next trailer to me, but I can hear it through the wall. And he's going, uh, Stuart, he's going on the phone. Yeah. Going, Stuart, uh, hi, um, oh, Jesus, great writing and all that. Yeah, no, uh, powerful stuff. But, you know, what about the version before and all? And Stuart's going, whatever, no, no, this is it, this is it. So Peter's like, fucking hell, like he's, he's nervous, you know. And then the day he comes back and he has to shoot it. And I swear to God, boys, he walks, he walks off and he comes back from shooting it. Now, if you're doing a scene like that, one man you don't want to be in the scene with is Clinchy. Because Clinchy didn't act. Clinchy just became... Yeah. He just was. Like, if he's going to try to shove that up here for real, that's the kind of man Clint is. Like, just a madman, but a beautiful soul. So anyway, he comes back. I obviously didn't see the scene being shot, but he comes back, and I swear to God, boys, he had a blanket around him, Peter, and he looked like Jodie Foster in The Accused. I said, <laughs> I said, the poor fella. So he ends up trying to get at the very top of the queue for lunch, and Clinty shouted up, I thought I told you to get at the end of the fucking queue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the whole crowd start everybody start laughing the extra start laughing so I'm in the, I'm in the church and I'm going will I tell the story or not you know will I tell it because I know Clinton would love me to tell it you know and I said nah fuck it I won't it's too you know in front of the priest and all you know and everybody you know it's too controversial and whatever and Peter what's he going to think you know but it's just the truth you can't be killed for the truth or you can nowadays I suppose but anyway so he's, I just seen I just seen the gifts were given up you know the, 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 the religious gifts and I seen the queue getting given up. No and way. I, and the whole crowd started laughing. And I went, that's like a sign. Yeah. I have to tell this fucking story. Yeah. So I went up and I says, Father, please forgive me. I'm going to have to jump into the confession box next, but I'm going to have to say some shit that I have to say. And that's it. And the priest half of was laughing his head off as well. What can yeah, you do? Like, yeah, yeah. But that was Clinchy, like a mad extreme fella. Like, but funniest, funniest man I've ever met. Jokes, jokes coming out of him, you know. And a brilliant actor, like brilliant And what flats was he from? Well, he was from everywhere. He's from, I think, Foley Street and then Millbrook and Darndale. Like, it depends yeah. where who he was talking to. He'd tell you he'd be from yeah. one yeah. or the other. He was, a, you know, a blackguard like that, like, but a yeah. gift to the gab, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. And it's just a, just a great human being, man. Like, and someone who lived on the edge all his life, struggled with addiction, he ended up getting, you know, he ended up going back to prison about seven or eight years ago. He, he held up, I think it was the, the living room. room, yeah. And he did it with no bullets in the gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the type of fella Clinty was because he would never shoot anybody. But, um, you know, struggling with addiction and all this, lads, you know. But anyway, people damned him over that. I fucking stood up in court and still I didn't give a box to my mates and my mate. And uh, when he came out then, he went back doing a little bit of acting gigs and then struggling again and, yeah, then it was kind of a, then he was back to himself um, when he died. When he died, it was just I think it was just the pressure of all that stuff throughout the years and his heart, you know. And Clancy had freaking nearly died when about fifteen years ago, but his lungs got trained, you know. So I, I'd say he just wasn't the healthiest person. Mm. He was actually off the drugs when he ended up dying. It's always the fucking irony, you know. Mm. So that was John Connor Stair. What a man, legend. The next clips that you're going to hear are from a very powerful woman called Sarah Grace, who we had in the podcast. Um, this was 
Definitely, it's actually a no-brainer for me. Definitely the hardest podcast we've had to record, in my opinion. Um, so you don't know whether you, you don't really know what to say and the right time to say it and whether you're gonna come across a certain way. And I've never ever. I think I was more nervous for that episode than I was for our first live show, and I was fucking nervous for that. Mm. But um, the way she articulated herself and told the story, bit by bit, and it's very graphic as well. But what took me back by her mainly was how bubbly she was. Like, she wasn't, she was so calm. She was like, lads, chill out, like, ask whatever you want. You aren't going to say the wrong thing to me. And she had a good character about her. And what a legend, sir. She actually suggested that we still do zingers. Yeah. That's something when we know we're going to hit on a heavy subject. We don't do zingers with the guest. And Mm. she says, no, I want to do zingers. Yeah, I think that showed a side. Straight away, that sort of showed a side where that was like, she doesn't want to be just known as that. She wants to have the balls with us mm. and she wants to, you know what I mean? She's not just exactly the situation that happened to her, you know, that type of way. But this was a powerful one. So here's Sarah Grace. The title of the book is Ash and Salt. And so Ash is kind of explanatory. It's like you literally feel like your identity, your life, your as you knew it is reduced to ashes, your sense of safety, your relationship with friends, like your sex life, your romantic life, it's just gone. There's nothing left. And you have to kind of rebuild from that. But I was very much in that place of nothing makes sense, numb to the world, don't care. And it's kind of much later that then the anger started setting in, like the sadness, the extreme sadness, all of those kind of feelings but they were good in a way because when they came up that was the first sign of you're healing you're feeling stuff again okay it's shit and like I cannot you know like overstate how shit it is but you can get through it anybody can get through it like if I can do it I'm not special anybody can get through this and particularly with the right people who are listening and like the right supports in place and you know focusing on their healing the emotions are a good thing. Mm-hmm. So what's it like when when he is caught? Like, do the, do the guard get in touch with you and say, we've caught this fella? Or <clears throat> They do. Now, they have to be really careful because he's obviously innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. And they catch him, but they don't charge him yet. They interview him for... God, they interviewed him for hours. Um, and they... In, they were very good in fairness. So my case was then handed over to like an expert team who were like specialized in like the sexual crimes. God, they were good. Like they knew what they were doing yeah. um, and they handled it really well as well. So they were kind of giving me updates. And, you know, I remember I had to go back to the station. They had to take my prints to like check that, you know, like rule my prints out on the handbag and the phone to identify his prints. And I was just bombarding them with questions like, how do you know it's him? And they were like, look, we can't say much. So just read between the lines. Um, There was someone apprehended. That individual is no longer on the streets. Bear with us. But, you know, like, and I was like, how do you know it's him? Like, what are we doing? Like, what if he's still out there? What if you have the wrong guy? And he just like showed me his hand and he was like, read between the lines there. And I was like, okay, (laughs) they have the right mark. It's him. Um, so like, yeah, that was a sense of relief because I, I like could not go back into that flat until like he knew my face. He knew where I lived. You know, he knew where my bedroom was. Like there yeah. was no way I was That's going back sanctuary. into that flat. Like, if you're not safe in your own bed, where totally. is Totally. And like, you know, I, I was like, okay, it's a horrific story. Like it's a shock value story, but I was so lucky because for a lot of people, you know, 
it's their partner, it's a friend, it's like somebody in their lives and that person is not put into custody, they're released and you run into them, you run into their friends, you run into their parents at the shop. Like that's, I can't imagine the people who do that, like the strength they must have. Like I was sorted. Once he was gone, I was like, well, nobody else. He didn't have an accomplice. As far as I know, no family here. So, you know, like that was a big, big relief for me. Um, but then it was, yeah, like what happens if he's released and all that stuff? You didn't have to face him again, did you? Like, to- So this is very interesting. And again, like I do want to get into this a little bit. So the trial again is an absolute minefield. Mm. And even as a lawyer, like we were lawyers going into this. I had done all my prep. I had like spoken to everybody under the sun to get a sense of what was happening. Nobody can give you a straight answer. There's nothing online. And so I had been assured for months and months and months like oh my god don't worry like you know sexual crimes you can um give your evidence like by video link you won't even be in the same room as him it's all very humane it's very victim friendly um it was not so it turns out like the video link is only for minors or people with a disability which they do not say to you and like stupidly i should have checked the like the rule book but you know i kind of trusted people who were saying this to me Um, Because this was coming from like, you know, the DPP and the guards and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like so close to the trial, it was uncomfortable. They were like, oh, yeah, God, no, you'll be in the same room. Like, I mean, you're in touching distance of each other. Like he's basically where you are, like slightly like where that table is. Like you are so close to each other. There's no barrier. There's no glass. Like he can literally get up. There's like a little ledge and he can reach over and touch you. And he's allowed to stand to like stretch and stuff while you're giving your evidence. Um, Could you not like go further about not having that? Yeah, like you'll be on one side, so like I, a photo yeah. pointed around, and they'll be at the other photo pointed around. So, room. no, the way it's set up, it's very like, you know, judge sits here, jury sits there, blah, blah. Like, it's all, it's not like they can move chairs around. Like, the chairs are like literally like drilled into the floor, like it's set. But so, I remembered again from like my like criminal law studies. God, I must have been a nightmare for them to deal with. But anyway, um, I was like, I know you can get a screen between you and the guy. So I was like, I need that. And I was like, I am so traumatized by this. I know if I see his face, I'll remember and it'll bring a flood of memories back. And like, I have to already convince 12 complete strangers and the judge that this happened. It's my word against his. And then he's sitting there, like literally breathing down my neck. Are you kidding me? So the screen was a huge battle to get. It got secured, like not even the day the trial started. It got secured the day before, like I went on the stand. Sorry, which, why? Oh, oh, um, to give him a right of fair trial because the screen makes him look guilty. And so I was like, well, surely if you make the screen you know, just mandatory for anybody. Problem solved. Also, you should see the screen, like the way they talk about it, you're like, this is going to be like erected with some serious manpower and like they're going to bring like a crane in. It's a tiny little, like, you know, like a little projector thing you had in class, like Mm. a square, I kid you not that wide. And like a square piece of fabric. I don't understand how that takes away his innocence. Because the jury see the screen between yes, you and him, and so it's like, oh, he's a dangerous. Understand. Yeah, like if there's a screen there between you and all, like it doesn't mean that you didn't 
You know what I, I mean? Like, completely agree. They had something wrong. Like when COVID was here, there's a screen there because yeah. there's an issue with mm. something. Yeah, and I made weird. the point as well because I was like, look, if I was a man and I was, you know, wrongly accused of having rape, I don't want to see the woman who's accusing me. I don't want to see them. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you want some kind of a separation. In France, in the UK, they're like on opposite sides of the room, and that's Makes still sense. uncomfortable. Yeah. And like I was like, if I see him, I will have a panic attack. So what I did in the end, <clears> and this is like a good one to just keep in your back pocket if you're ever in trial, is every argument you use, first of all, write everything down. And follow up by email because then you can back yourself and they can't be like, oh, you never, you said, never that. said this. Yeah. yeah, and that happens more often than you'd like to think. Mm. Um, but you always kind of focus on the purpose of the courts is to administer justice. In my opinion, that can be forgotten sometimes, but you kind of have to make the point like, if I do not get the screen, I am depriving the jury and the judge from good evidence to, and, you know, evidence needed to decide this case. So it is in everybody's interest for that screen to go up. Apparently there's two screens in the whole country. And I was like, I will donate <laughs> happily 200 screens. Like We could use that. Yeah. Like, yeah. We'll bring that. that. Sorry, that is much bigger than what we had. But like um, one fella can lift that. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like you don't need it. Oh, a like, whole I remember because the guards had never seen one. So like the guards were there with, they'd like, you know, bring me into the courtroom and stuff. And we had to, I had to come in to like sit in the hot seat and like just, you know, they had to like basically measure it out because if I was like one inch further into the chair, I'd see him. So I had to like lean back in the chair, but then the mic, which you can't adjust, was forward. So you have to lean back, would kind of talk into the mic. And then they completely forgot about the COVID screen. So what happened was the screen in front of us where the judge was, there's a big plastic glass so I could see him, well, his hand through, like in the reflection of the COVID screen. Like, the IQ of some people, I don't know. And in fairness to them, they're not used to this. Like, we had to fight for this so hard. And they just, like, the prosecution case was just not thought through. Like, we pushed so hard for this. And then at the end, you know, so I'm not allowed into the courtroom until I've given my evidence. Because again, if I go in before and hear something, I could try to corroborate my evidence. Yeah. Fine. But then they encourage you to go back in once you're done to kind of, you know, let the... Because these trials last a week, two weeks, sometimes more. So the jury has to kind of remember there's a victim here. And so it's all these, like, psychology games. And I pointed out, because they had told me, come in tomorrow and be there. And I was like, they made this whole song and dance about him not having a fair trial. We got the screen, like, by the skin of our teeth. And now if I come in tomorrow and, you know, he can see me and I can see him. First of all, I don't want that, but I'll suck it up if I have to. But like, isn't the defense going to lose their mind and jump up and down and say, oh, well, you know, she can see him. So she's, you know, deprived him of a fair trial. And the answer was, oh, uh, let me think about that. And then I got a call the next morning being like, yeah, on balance, don't come in. It's not a good idea because we will, it will, it could collapse the trial. So you have to like what's and I, I like really hate giving this message, but for anybody going through this and their support group, like the support group is so important. You kind of have to be your own lawyer and just assume things won't get done because I'd asked for this screen ages ago. And then a month before the trial, they were like, oh, we haven't even started the application for this. And there's like 50 there's like a whole application for it. So you have to do a vulnerability assessment with the guards and you have to like do basically an interview and give them all the reasons why you need the screen. And I mean, by the end of it, I was like, 
a shakiness like I was crying and I was like please also record my state because I you know like this is all part of the evidence and then the judge has to decide on balance whether a little piece of fabric will you know hinder this guy's right to a fair trial um so you have to be your own lawyer constantly and just watch out for that yeah. kind of stuff mm. like it's madness because like obviously you've gone through so much and even being able to tell your story to somebody at the, at that time to like go ahead with it and then you have to jump through hoops yeah. to try and get that heard in a courtroom the amount of like I mean we're scratching like I could talk about this for six hours easy like I wrote a book about it literally yeah. um, and I mean even the book there's stuff you know like we scratched the surface we had to pick our, our battles but like the other one that really shocked people and this was the thing people latched on rightly so when the article first broke and I kind of waved my anonymity was um, in any sexual assault, rape, etc. case, the defense team are allowed to use your notes that were taken with your therapist or psychiatrist as evidence against you in the court. It will not be used to corroborate what you say so in my case, the notes and what I said aligned perfectly. So they were just discarded. But if there was anything in there of, you know, um, I don't know, like say I started seeing a guy like a month afterwards and I say I'm traumatized. They're like, ah, but you are seeing a man so you can have sex. So you're full of shit. They can use that against you in a court of law. Or if you say, I don't know, oh, I'm having doubts. Maybe it wasn't this man. Maybe it was another guy. They can use that against you. Wait till you hear this. They seized the notes off the therapist, the whole notes, every single word that was written down, the whole defense team gets to read it, the whole prosecution team gets to read it. They then redact parts that aren't relevant to the story. So say if like in the notes I say like, oh, I'm adopted, that's not relevant to the case, they'll, they'll redact. And then the accused gets to read them. So this guy who I had, you know, I went to counseling a lot, like it was critical to my mm -hmm. healing. I had said in the notes, like, I hope he never finds out the impact he's had on my life because I feel like he'd like, you know, in some, some perverted way, exactly, yeah. like get some gratification. He got to read that. So I'm absolutely yeah. baffled here. Yep. You go to counseling with the confidence that everything you say is going to be confidential yep. and you can open up and and dig into the deepest darkest parts but like, of you you can console yourself in someone else and that's the yeah. whole point in counseling and the benefit of counseling exactly that is going to be used against you against you who the fuck decides what's redacted like who the fuck says so that's not relevant and that it is goes relevant? to prosecution first who are on your side and they redact what's not relevant but to be honest with you like the quality of some of the stuff i saw you'd wonder, would they redact everything and they might just leave something in because they're like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, is that not subjective? What, what's relevant and what subjective. isn't? It completely is subjective. So then they redact, prosecution sees it, prosecution can question, why was this redacted? I need to know what this says. So then it goes to the judge who also reads all your notes and makes the call. And like this was not disclosed to me when I started going to counselling. So the guards give you a list of like, you know, the organizations you guys mentioned, I went to the Dublin Rape Crisis Center. I thought they were phenomenal. I really opened up for four to six months, weekly meetings. My therapist had taken, God love her, like four pages of notes at each session and gone into so much detail. And I didn't really, because she'd write them afterwards. So she wasn't taking notes when I was talking to her. 
And so when I got the heads up, like, look, they're going to take the notes off you. First of all, complete disbelief, shock, anger, panic. And then I was like, no, it's fine. She hasn't taken notes. We're okay. And they're like, you're allowed to go see them before they're taken. So I rang her and I was like, did you take notes? And she was like, yeah. And then I went home for a while to France and then I was seeing like a psychologist in France just for like another reason, like a therapist. I just, it was easier for me to see somebody face to face. No link to the attack whatsoever. Like I just brought it up at the beginning as like a, I'm just disclosing this, but there's other stuff I want to focus on. Yeah. Um, and like there was a question over, like initially they said, yep, we'll have to get those seats to get like a jurisdictional, you know, like grant to go to France and take those, get them translated. So like a translator seeing them and then use them against you. And so in the end, I was like, you know, you have to sign a declaration like on your honor. There's nothing in those like it's related to a completely different matter, which it was. But like. And in what cases are they allowed Go and deal that and take Every them. single case. Any case. Every single case. And so what happens is normally the defense asks for them. But prosecution now are so used to the defense asking for them that they will automatically ask for them like almost as, as well. a procedural yeah. thing. What happens is, and this has been talked about a lot, not just by myself, a lot of people. And, you know, if you Google like the DRCC, the Dublin Rape Crisis Center, they talk a lot about this. Defense use this as a tactic to dissuade you from yeah. going to court because they know if I tell you, yeah, of course we can go to court, but let's, you know, let's all have a good laugh let's now. Let's hang over, out the yeah. washing hand front of everybody. Yeah. yeah. And use those, you know, that. And I mean, I know so many survivors that have not gone to court or have waited for years to get a trial and not gotten therapy because they were waiting until the trial was over. By that time, the damage is so done. Mm. Like uh, now nothing's, you know, like irreparable, but like putting yourself through that after the trauma you've been through, you need the support. Now, maybe therapy is not for you. You need some kind of a support group. I would highly recommend therapy, but, you know, to each their own. You but a lot of people, you need to do, though. and particularly yeah. with like people who are professionals, like know what they're doing. Like the Rape Crisis Center are so well versed in this. They're like, yep, no problem. This is so normal. You know, I take you as you are. Let's talk through it, blah, blah. Well, in your case, was it not fairly open and shut? Like, you know what I mean? There's surely enough evidence there oh. to, to, to you point him guilty. Like, so. what, what are they trying to defend? Like, oh, what like, are they using your notes to downplay here? Yeah. Like, so there's the no notes, way what you have said in therapy yeah. dismisses the fact he broke into your house and the sexually. No, exactly. It. So, like, the notes weren't used in the end, but they still all got to read it. So, like, damage done. Um, which, like, like, a violation after being violated, like, I just do not understand that rule. They're starting to bring a similar rule into the UK, which is just Ridiculous. like we're going in completely the wrong direction here. Um, but in my case, like, so when I was cross-examined, like, some of the arguments used were just laughable. So, like, one example, and I mean, they were clutching at straws. I completely, you know, I work in law. I completely understand. Yes, defend your client by all means. Give them a right to a fair trial. Make sure all the evidence has been properly, you know, obtained. Um, that they have the right to cross-examine, blah, blah. This was so open and shut. He admitted to breaking in. He admitted to, like, breaking into the apartment. But then he just kept saying not guilty to, like, the actual charge. So we still had to go through with the whole rigmarole, which was, ve again, very, very unusual. But it kind of pointed at like pinpointed you know the barrister representing him to me should have just like stuck to the facts and been like let's be as procedural as possible 
spare this poor girl any unnecessary, like, of course, the necessary questions ask away. Make sure, you know, I, you know, let's establish the case here. It's my word against his. So, you know, we've got to get it done. There was stuff around. So when I talked about like, like the sexual assault, like the penetration, I used in my statement the words like it had the force of a punch because that literally was like it was such a blow. And they, like the police had asked me, explain why. Like we need to, we need as much detail in the witness statement. So I was like, well, it hurt like hell for one. Like it was a very, very violent, like, you know, blow. And then, you know, the cut he inflicted, like I was bleeding for a good two days straight after that. Um, the barrister thought it was a great idea to latch on to the word punch. And he was like, but you said he punched you. A punch isn't sexual. Like you guys were having a fight. And he just, the punch landed in the wrong place, basically. And I was like, are you kidding? And now what was very satisfying was I could see the jury out of the corner of my eye. Same 11 like, men, yeah. one guy, and they literally all crossed their arms. <laughs> so like they were having none of it. They were just fuming, which was very comforting of like, I'm not going crazy. Because yeah. they make you feel like you are crazy. Mm. Like you need to remember that in trial. Like keep your calm. Again, stick to the facts. If you don't know, say you don't know. Yeah. Be credible. That is one of the most educational episodes of the podcast, I think it's fair to say. Um, I remember learning so much in that, having so many questions to ask her. But as you said, like you don't know what way to ask them and you don't know when to ask them. I remember listening to her and I remember thinking, my hands are fucking sweating, mm. how nervous I was. But what was very good and reassuring from her was she kept saying it and she was so patient with us and she was like... This needs. This is a story that needs to be told to not just men but women as well. And I love how she tells it like she's not talking about herself, like she's talking about someone that she knows. But it's her. She's lived through this. Uh, she conjures up, conjures up vivid images of what happened that night, and you can. It's like you're in the room when it's happening, and the legal system and what the long term effects of what's at the happening to her, and then how she's walked past her all and. I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Like, go back and listen to the whole thing. There's a lot to be learned from both men and women about steps that she took after the attack that she was advised against and then steps that she wish she took and stuff that you're not told about in these kind of legal proceedings. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the most educational episodes we have. Um, and switching her up from there. The light, I know. I know, I know. We're moving into Will Are We? Yeah, we wouldn't been able to do uh, highlights of the year without Will Are We? That'd have we been right away, right? outside my county house if Will Are wasn't involved in this one. Yeah, we wouldn't have had any listeners in 2023. Yeah, now of course, like, you're going to hear clips from a lot of episodes, but as we said earlier on as well, these are just some clips. This isn't all the clips and the best clips and the best guests and stuff like that, but Willa has to be involved all the time. Um, so in these clips, you're going to hear some of the classic Willa jokes. Um, this is from his episode part three with us. He's actually done four episodes with us. Um, but these are some of the classics from Willa that you all love. So I hope you enjoy this. So come in and ask you a question. Are you one or a two pillow person? Two. Two. I used to be two until I went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, look, you're gone again. You're flopping on me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You, and you know what? This is the God's honest truth, right? 
I remember being in custody one time and there was no pillows in the cell, right? It's true as good God, right? And I used a bleeding duffel. You have these duffels when you're on remand, right? Oh, yeah, you could nearly whistle for these things. <coughs> then you're landing and they run up after you, right? So it's a proper duffel coat, no, a brown, yeah. boxy duffel coat. Like. So with no pillow, but I used to use two pillows, so I had nothing to use for the pillow. So I used the duffel coat, like. And then when... Eventually, I got pillows. <laughs> I couldn't use two pillows anymore because I was so used to the duffel coat been so low that I then made the switch to one pillow. So, come here. See, when Linda makes the bed, does she put two on two? Or yeah, does she go two all, on whole side, one on whole, no, whole side? No, always two on two, but I don't use two. I put one pillow behind the pillow standing up straight and I use the one pillow in the in the thing. And as well as that, when, when, when we're uh, making the bed, I try to use the pillow that I use to lie down on not the one that goes with the duvet. Do you know what I mean? So the plain coloured pillow. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We be bleeding, drooling, and everything. Yeah. Sleep. Do you know what I mean? So we use the plain pillow to lie my head on, and the dress pillow stays at the back, so it still looks fresh when you're making the bed. Oh, that's a good one. Well, that I swear <laughs> to God, get it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still looking for this singer because this is a good singer. Um, but that singer is unreal, genuinely. So what are you picking? Um, I'm picking a poxy bed and a good pillow. Because you ever get a good bed and the pillow is shy and your neck does being bits over it. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? I I'd, think. I'd, yeah, I'd probably have to go. And you know where I get it? Do you ever go to a hotel? Hotel beds are always great, but the pillows are always shy. Yeah. Some pillow, somehow, I don't think the Maldron has a pillow menu. You can <laughs> just get a pillow, like. Yeah, you just get a room. It's not even but, a bed in the Maldron rooms. <laughs> it's great for this, yes. I stayed in a hotel down in Cork once. It's called, uh, I'm going to name it, it's called the Hayfield Manor. And it's a five-star family-run hotel, right? And they do the best. If you're into porridge, right? I'm telling you, Goldilocks will go over bank counters for this porridge, right? It's the best porridge you'll ever eat in your life. Stay down there with Des Bishop when we were doing the tour room years ago. But they have a pillow menu. Yeah, I said in the hotel before. A, what? a pillow menu, yeah. You yeah, get, get we're not messing there. No. no. A pillow menu. We sat in the hotel before and Isn't it had a... Yeah. Yeah. We'll have the, p- uh, the pillow with... Uh, Pepperoni. Yeah, medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> I sat in the hotel before and I had the thing beside it and it showed you where to order the beds. They said, they get uh, asked so much, they just left the link to where to get the bed. Oh, Wherever God. you order the mattresses from, yeah? Mad. Beds in ho- hotels had to be hardcore because there's some shit going down on there. Ah, come here, you're only going to a hotel on one thing and one thing only. 100% that. up on the saddle all night. Yeah. You and Des Bishop not the Yeah, I'm gonna go with the the bad bed, yeah, because pillow, yeah. You can wake up and go, oh, I was a poxy sleep or with a bad pillow, you can end up in, in a heap like well, an A and A, like, like you, you know, know what I mean? See people in the airport bringing the pillows from the gap yeah. the holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a bad pillow could wreck a week away in the sun. My board has a special pillow and sometimes she'll be like, you have my pillow. I'm like, a pillow's a fucking pillow. But it's not though. She's on the ball. She's yeah. on the ball with a it good is. pillow. I just the convenience of, of, of the inconvenience I suppose of bringing a pillow just doesn't appeal to me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just kind of, it's a gamble, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You just, you have to make deal. And some, do you ever make, oh, there is nothing more something you got a bad pillow and you're folding it and you're yeah. putting her open. There's two pillows and you're trying to mess around. But I have like a, I do the two pillows, yeah, but one of them is kind of puffy and one of them's soft. 
And then do you go by what order you put them in? Like what goes on top, what goes on the bottom? Yeah. Do you do that as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah. My butt is the opposite to what I do. So we don't have that inconvenience. We just have the warm pillow, so I know where I'm going for every night. Yeah, but you know when <laughs> like bang. So you know when you're putting the pillowcases on, they're making the bed. So I'd put the top pillowcase on a certain pillow, and then she put it on the opposite one. Oh. So the pillow would be like. What way do you make the deal, mate? Do you if you're putting? Do you like come I'd out? Put it inside out. Inside out, and then yeah, grab, grab corners the corner and pull it through. Yeah. And it's a bleeding effort, boy. Yeah. Standing on the bed, jumping, shaking. Rather put the bins out six nights a week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always say that to her. Yeah. I do anything else you want. I'm not making that bed. <laughs> no, I do. Sometimes I just do it. Randomly, you're too right, small, Willa. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just strip the bed and she'll make the bed. Yeah, so like, that's handy, yeah. He's a tiny little thing. Imagine him that's with the huge head. I'm one of them yokes on the side of the bed. Now that you don't fall out, you put on the <laughs> Is that why you put the pillow against the headboard and your pillow there so your feet can stick out the end of the bed? That's why you snore. Oh, I don't oh, want to hear this fella. My missus calls me Snorer the Explorer. Like. <laughs> I'm like the B&I pulling out of the dock on New Year's Eve. I actually woke up one night and she turned around and asked me, I want to stab you in the face. <laughs> and you know when you look at someone and you actually get frightened because you know that she means what she's actually saying? Like, And then and then I showed the night like I'm getting boots and kicks and then I'm stopping and then I'm real conscious of it when I woke up and then I'd be like, <laughs> and then I'm just gone again. Like, she, she recorded me. We went down to Westport a few weeks ago. Oh, when she went. We were in Airbnb in Westport, right? And it was that bad, right? That lucky enough, the Airbnb had an upstairs and there was a spiral staircase. And I had to get out of bed and go in there. <laughs> and when I went in and went upstairs into the spiral staircase, she recorded me from the bedroom. And you could still hear me from the bedroom upstairs. That's how bad it is. Oh, I'm bad as well, Will I? Yeah, I'm very, very bad. And I can't stand people who snore. Yeah. Isn't that mad? You're best if you're going out with a board to ask, get a board that snores as well. Why? Because it just works out better, doesn't it? Does Linda snore? No, she doesn't know. So why didn't you do that? Did I practice what you preach, yeah. Will I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm just giving Terrence a bit. Right, right, right. I don't know why I didn't do it, because maybe I was more attracted to Linda than I snored, not the way oh. she snored. Right, right. Well, that makes yeah. more sense, yeah. She made him wait a while. That's what it was. And he fell in love her and then and realised bollocks. <laughs> she doesn't snore. snore. Yeah, that's what I meant to say, yeah. Yeah, no, we are. And, and you know what? It's over. The last few years, it's gradually got worse. Uh, when I met Linda, it was kind of a lot fitter. And a lot lighter. So it wasn't that bad. But as the years went by and I got comfortable and started eating cake, it got a little bit worse. Yeah. So it is, it's worse. Happens. And it's I a never... horrible thing. I wouldn't be able to do yeah. it. I'd, I'd think if Linda slept, to, yeah, I'd have to be down. I remember a few years ago, we were on the J1. <clears throat> Anyone's ever been on the J1, you know, you sleep, there's about 10 years in the room. And I never forget it. There was, I'd been on a night out and I say there was about 12 or 13 of us. And I was on one side of the room and this fellow was on the other side and he was snoring. And I remember being in my sleep and throwing things at him because I couldn't reach him to kick him. And he woke up the next morning, his nose was pouring blood. And he goes, oh, that's about to get a nose blade. And there was about 17 pairs of runners all around. It was like dead. Foot Locker. Was the and, uh, the and he was like, on what? Yeah. I was like, what? The bottom of his what happened to you there, pal? Yeah, me, me there, took him back over, him picking an Air Max out of his nostril. When I lived in London, I lived in a place called Alberton, which is right beside Wembley. And I lived with a, a, a fella, you know, just renting a room off him, like. But on the weekends, I used to go down to my ma, because my ma lived in Hackney, 
But his missus used to come over on the weekend. So one weekend, I went down to me ma's. There was no mobile phones at the time, lads. And me ma had no house phone. So I just assumed that me ma knew it's it was going in. off. So yeah. I went down to, all the way to Hackney, which is about an hour and a half on a tube. Got there. <clears throat> Excuse me, me ma wasn't there. Like, so I had to go back. But when I got to the gaff, his board was there. And he says, me, listen, I'm just putting your word. He says, uh, when you go to bed tonight, he says, lock your door, right? And I was like... <laughs> Why is she, does she rob stuff or something? <laughs> and he goes, no, he says she has a... Yeah. Just sticky fingers. No, yeah. she lives night tremors, right? So what she does is she wakes up during the bleeding night and wrecks the gaff, right? Go, I swear to God, have a look at this, right? Oh, he says, mate, seriously. And uh, he goes, no, no, I'm being quite honest. I says to him, she must be good in the bleeding scratcher if you're bringing her over. She's wrecking your gaff every weekend, I says... Now, this fellow was the manager in Ikea in, 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 in London, right? In Brent Cross. I'm not joking with you. Every other cat was out of Ikea. <laughs> just wake up Jordan Knight and Alan Key and take her apart. No, no, no. Just lock the door, he says. I swear, oh. right? Here. Yeah. I don't know what time it was in the morning, right? Because I had a few spark plugs on me, right? <laughs> I woke up. And this one was bleeding, running them up, right? Here. Yeah. No, I mean the place was getting beaten, wrecked. <laughs> Out the next morning, I swear to God, it was out to be about 50, 16 year olds in the cafe. The place was broke up. <laughs> sitting down having a cup of coffee, like nothing bleeding happened. Like, be like get your bleeding jacket. Why'd you get your calf done up and bringing her over, meeting her on Tinder or something? Or bleeding, whatever. Yeah, come on over. Wake up during the night. She's cracky booting your ward. Down the bleeding calf. Yeah. <laughs> Stop, man. <laughs> Why does she rob stuff? <laughs> Gun down! Gun down! Do you know what the funny thing is? Like, Will is telling these stories as if he's had to making them up like a comedy sketch, but they're actually parts of his life. Like, every time he tells, he rings it and tells it a story, it's hard to believe that he's telling you the truth. He's just recounting something that happened to him. Like, he told me a story before, Terrence, and I, I rang you after and I said, This is the funniest story I've ever heard in my entire life. And I, it's a bit of a tragic twist to it. But it's hilarious and how he tells it. And I don't I think I don't think people fully understand that Willa has lived two lives. A hundred percent, yeah. Like in the Christy Dignam episode that we done, Christy literally says to us when he the last time he seen Willa, he was doing a gig in the joy. And the last time he seen Willa, he said to whoever he was with at the time, he said, That's the last time we're gonna see Willa, he's gonna be dead. Like and anybody who speaks it and knows Willa from them times is like will tell you like they don't know how he's still alive yeah so if you look at him now it's hard to imagine him like that and I think he's just gold isn't he I love Willa yeah. I love Willa I'm very close to Willa and both of us are to be honest but uh, he's done a lot of, he's done a lot of me since I met him like for the first episode so I love him I do yeah he's uh... a. <laughs> I can't even I can't even get hung up on this because I'm just going to be laughing all day yeah. um, who's next uh, next up is Tony O'Reilly. Yeah, no, I'm very powerful, sorry. This is, if in episode 100, Alex said this is his favourite episode and he said someone needs to make a film about it and he's not wrong. Yeah. This needs to be made a film out of. Yeah. It is unbelievable. I'm actually surprised it hasn't been made already. If you were talking about gripping earlier on and a palm sweating, I was gripped mm-hmm. at this. Like, I was rattling. I was like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? He's robbing the money. He's doing this. Ah, oh, even the bets... Yeah. I put this amount on a bet and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on here? A lot of people have put me since then and said this is one of their favourites. And do you know why I think it is? It's because 
people know that not a million miles away from it happening to them in terms of gambling. Everybody is close. But like, you know when people tell stories about like addiction to heroin and stuff like that and people will be like, well, I don't even take drugs. So to end up down that end of the, the, is a the bit track, of stretch. That's like, that could be a bit away. Yeah. Whereas, but gambling, like everybody knows what it's like to, to gamble, to get a winner. And now I always say the worst thing you can do in gamble is win because then you come back for more. And, and then it's when not you lose, more. you're catching up on yourself then. You come back with more stake. So it gets to a point, we all start off with the five and ten of bets. And then, like I remember there was a point when if I wasn't putting 50 euro on a horse or a dog, I was like, what's the point? Like if this wins, if I put a tenner on this and it wins, I'm only getting 100, let's say. Why would I not put 50 on it? And you don't understand how quick, it's not like a very gradual thing. It's like the 10 euro accumulators or the 10 euros or the 20 euros on a horse no longer become exciting. So you just want to gamble more. And more and more, and that is a slippery slope. And Tony is the pinnacle of that. Like his story is how fragile people are in terms of losing it all. And yeah, like you'll have to listen to the episode. Like there's stuff about not even having the money to pay for his wedding day on the day of the fucking wedding, and then going on the run and all at the end. Oh, crazy! Listen, come here. Listen to that fucking episode. Mm. Now, you're going to hear the clips, listen to the clips, and then listen to the full episode. Trust me. Boom. Here he is. So I was born in Carlo, bang in the centre of the town, and lived a normal life. Um, family of three, myself and two sisters. Um, growing up, um, I suppose you're normal, everyday happy lad. We're out playing soccer in the fields. Um, doing knickknacks, knocking on people's doors and running away, stuff like that. Like just a normal, happy um, childhood. But I always, I always felt I was kind of, I always had that little bit of insecurity in me. Um, always felt on the peripheral group, groups and trying to find my own, I suppose, place in my group of friends. And I often kind of drifted between groups of friends. Um, I suppose my my first ever kind of experience of gambling would have been when my dad brought home, um, well, not really gambling, I suppose, was probably seen it. My dad brought home an Amstrad CPC 464, if any of you remember it, um, an old kind of style honky or something like the Commodore 64 that was out years ago, definitely showing my age. And I was 10 at the time, and some of the games that came with it were free games, you load them in with the cassette, and one was a fruit machine game. And when I'm even doing some of the talks nowadays, or my um, some of the school talks, I show a clip of it, and even like 37 years later, I can still hear the sound and see the visuals of it. So even back then it kind of grabbed my attention. Um, And I suppose growing up as well, I would have um, surrounded myself by nice things. I would have bought music. And as you were saying today, I was in Tower Records buying stuff as well today. And my to kind of combat the insecurity, I used to surround myself by nice things. And in my room, best of tellies, best of stereos, and a lot of music and everything had its place. And that was a way for me always to kind of settle myself. Um, And my first probably experience at gambling wasn't really until I was 24, which... In today's world, is very late. Very late. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, it was '98. The World Cup quarterfinals. That's a sixteen. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a different landscape back then. For me, I suppose it was a lot of the gambling, or most of the gambling, was done in bookie offices. Mm. Online wasn't really a thing. Like smartphones only came in nine years later, so it wasn't really a thing, and it wasn't a thing in my circle of friends. Whereas nowadays, you know, I'm I, we work with people who are <clears throat> 17, 18, 19 in full blown addiction from gambling. So, um, yeah, my life growing up, I, I suppose I. I left college, I went to the local IT, 
very young Dummy Leaving Cert, went to local IT, left college and went out working at an early age and probably the sign of things to come is I really liked having money and buying things. And that's always been a narrative throughout my life was buying stuff. And even today, well, in Dublin, like, I'm just buying stuff. Like, and, I, and even though I haven't gambled in nearly 11 years, I would definitely cite online shopping and shopping as something I have to be very mindful of. Like an impulse thing. Impulse control disorder that gambling used to be. Yeah. But definitely that compulsivity. If you told me never a new band and I, and I kind of heard one of songs, I'd nearly have that feeling of I need to go and buy all their albums. Yeah. Just to have them. And I really kind of... Even now, today, like in while I'm in good recovery from gambling, it's something I have to be very mindful of and something that I kind of um, constantly am working on or battling against, as well as obviously being in recovery from gambling. Do you still get that impulse to, like, do you still feel like you could slip even though you're 11 years? Yeah, like, for example, like, I wouldn't have had it for about a year, um, but I was over at the Liverpool Everton game a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I was walking down the centre of Liverpool at, I think it was about quarter to 10 in the morning. And walking past the Ladbrokes, I can't really remember which book it was, I think it was the Ladbrokes, and the door was open, real inviting, kind of, not like here where it'd be a small door, like the whole thing was open. And for two seconds in my head, it kind of, no one knows me here, I could actually go in and place a bet and no one knows me. So even, I always say when I'm working with clients that if enough things line up, um, I very much could go back gambling. I just have to be very mindful of that, and especially with the shopping and with the other impulse that I have, I'm very mindful of every day for me is a day kind of working on recovery. That's mad. Um, I'm kind of hung up on the fact that you were 24 down your first bet mm. because I was definitely underage eight then when I was in a boogie spitting. Mm. And that was just a casual thing which I made to used to do it. You got a five or a ten or you do an accumulator on a Saturday hoping that you'd get served. And nine times out of ten you did. Yeah. And then because you're down there not often enough, usually your one behind the till would know you. Yep. You'd have no problem getting served. And then you said about the smartphones making it easy. I thought it made it more difficult because you had to verify your account then with a smartphone. Yeah, well, I've done TY talks this year and, you know, I remember asking a group of 20 lads, how many of them gambled and half of them were brilliant class and were very honest. Half in terms of they had online accounts. And I said, how do you manage to get an online account open? And they said, because we manipulated that on our phone. And one of them said, Paddy Power thinks I'm 28. And I think it's more so when they try to take the money out. That's, that's when, they, when the that's trouble when they actually get happen, yeah. But they can get the accounts open and get the bets on, but it's when they try to take the money out. Yeah, That's why we need more or we need some kind of legislation, regulation, which hopefully is it's on its way. Mm. So, take us back to 98. You said it was the World Cup. Yep. So, talk us through that experience. What what made you at 24 say, do you know what, actually, I'm actually going to go into the bookies now. Something that I could have done probably six years ago, but now I'm going to do it. Yeah, I was working in a bar called Scraggs Alley, which is my hometown. Very busy bar back in the day. A friend of mine was sitting at the counter having a few pints waiting for the match to kick off. Um, it was around lunchtime. And I remember he just very innocuously said to me, I'm going down to play a bet in the match. And I just said, just remind me lunch break, I'll go down and have a look. So I went down, the bookie office was actually the back stairs of where, in the car park where I used to work and went in, I was blown away by the hustle and bustle. You know, it was mainly older men and kind of, um, there was dockets on the ground and pens. You know yourself, what bookies, no, yeah. inside bookies. And I was taken back by the the energy in there and I decided I was going to place a bet on Patrick Clyburn to score first. Um, he was odds about six or seven to one. And I didn't carry cash with me when I was in work. I had a couple of loose coins in my pocket, an old Irish punt. Yeah, and I decided to place a pound on him at six to one or seven to one, whatever, and to, to for him to score first. And just as I was about to do, I noticed a special on the board for him to score first and Holland to win two one was forty five to one. And I said to my friend, "Why not I do that one?" He said, "You'd be mad, or you know, three or four things have to happen within the match." And um, and my exact words to him were, "Was like it's only a pound." Yeah, and he flicked a pound at me. He said, "You'll probably have beginners luck. Stick a pound on for me as well." 
And we put the bet on, went back up to watch the match, and he did score after 12 minutes, Clivert, and then um, I think Lopez for Argentina equalised after 17 minutes. And then for the next 73 minutes, we headed every ball, we kicked every ball, it was... And we were we were telling everyone about the bet, so like yeah, you know everyone's congratulating, in. yeah, and you're investing, but also people are congratulating you, even if when you haven't even won the bet yet, and saying how did you even think of that? Like you must be good at this. And um, in the 89th minute, the Burkham goal, the famous World Cup goal, Burkham's goal, and I often say when I'm doing the talks in schools, like it wasn't just the fact that we won 45 pounds. Like at 45 pounds back then, probably about a third of a week's wages for me, like probably the equivalent of putting three or four euro on today and winning 120, 150 euro, something yeah. like that. And uh, which was a lot of money for me at the time. Yeah, definitely. But it was also how it happened. Like the you know the, the ball was taken down from the sky and he, just, he rifled it past the keeper. So it wasn't just the money; it was the, the buzz I got from the way it happened. Like yeah. we've all watched, like even watching the Premier League over the weekend. You know, you see City come back to win three two. It's how it happens. Is because more of a buzz. Stars going to yeah. Playing, yeah. And I remember everyone was congratulating us, and I, I often tell the story as well that we we were you know we went drinking for the night, buying people drink for the night and. And uh, later on that night, you know, because I worked in Scraggs, we were getting lemons from behind the bar and reenacting the goal. We were, you know, and everyone was congratulating us. Yeah. And going to bed that night thinking this is easy. This is an easy way to make yeah. money. And whilst that, you thought, yeah, you thought, look, this is going to be, like, in your head, you'll probably think, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire too. Every time I make a bet, I, I can just pick, I can pick it out because I'll either have luck or I know something about football. Yeah. yeah. Or you think you know something about football. And, you know, it stayed at that level for about five years. Because I very much like what you described. You go in at the weekend, you place your football bet, five or ten or here. It was entertainment. It was a way of. I used to work every Saturday afternoon, and um, it was very much you watch soccer Saturday, and if the bet came in, brilliant. Not more so, not it didn't, but you had a bit of crack with it, a bit of entertainment. It was only when I opened <coughs> my online account in two thousand and three that like that kind of changed. Um, that changed everything really. And at 24 and 98, was that your first time ever even walking into a boogie? Yeah, I remember even as a young a young lad in my, my uncle's house, he was always kind of into the horse race. And I was just thinking, like, how could anyone have any interest in this? Mm. And I remember even, you know, a couple of times in the bookies afterwards, that first time I was in it, thinking, like, why do people gamble on these greyhound jokes? Like, it's over in 20 seconds. Like, what's the point? And then when I saw the virtuals, I was kind of thinking, like, people are gambling on like cartoon racing. Yeah. Little did I know that probably... 10 years later I'd be putting 100 euro each way on every 14 to 1 shot and that's how you know it's just mad how you kind of think it's the maddest thing in the world and then suddenly you're you're in the middle of it yeah. it's like the money almost doesn't become money anymore isn't it it's like it's like you're just thinking numbers like like I feel like if, I, if I'm if betting on lying so I'd even sometimes like see I'd be more bad gambling when I used to drink so mm. I'd be up at 6 in the morning there's nothing to bet on but I'd sit there on virtual horses all night long. But the money in the corner didn't really bother me. Do you no. know what I mean? Like, I used to just think numbers. Like, And yeah. then it's only the next day when you come around, uh, the following day, you're like, oh, I lost playing four or 500 quid there. Mm. Just sitting mm. in the gaff betting on virtuals. Yeah. It's that disconnect, isn't it? That you're not physically handing over handing 50 quid. Yeah. Just a number on the screen and it's gone. And you're like, all right. But yeah, still 50 quid. The online thing happened. I got a 50 euro voucher from my girlfriend's brother for Paddy Power. And I got it for a Christmas present, but I didn't try even cash that in until February. So like 50 euro sitting there. So like I wasn't even bothered betting. So it wasn't a big... T- and then I went into the bookie shop and said, can I use that to place a bet? And I said, no, you have to open up an online account. And I went, all right. So I had a, the, old, the old Dell PCs in, yeah. the, in my bedroom. Like I didn't even have a laptop at that stage. Mm. Went home, opened up the account. And now exactly what you said, like it was like, it didn't feel real because I had to associate my credit card to make lodgements into it. So now you're gambling with free money essentially because yeah. if you win a bet, you put off the minimum repayment off the credit card. And then that just, 
it's like if you're going spending money on it, you don't you don't rationalize. You just kind of keep spending, and it's only when it gets to a certain point you kind of go, oh, hold on, I may try to pay off some of this. Mm. But also the ability to place a bet from the comfort of your own bedroom without actually driving to a car, going down, filling out a docket, getting money, handing it over the counter, coming back. So it made it a lot easier. And for me, they were the two elements that really kickstarted my gambling, kind of slowly creeping up. Yeah, you were saying. So did you, you thought now three, so you were about five years into gambling then. Mm. Did you ever think like, this is an this is an issue? Or are you just like, no, I'm all right. It's not affecting me life. I'm coping with this. No, well, O3, when I, like I, I have the whole, my whole betting history. So from O3 to 2011, eight years of, of my gambling history is in a document 1,106 pages long. Mm. Now, the first page of that document shows the bets I was doing. I was doing a fiver and Roy Keane to get sent off. Two euro, Michael Owen, to score the first goal. I think my first bet online that one, I think it was a tenner on Henrik Larsson to score the first goal in the Celtic game. So the, the bets I was doing, it was very much like still your regular gambling. Yeah. But because it was online, I was starting to do a little bit more regularly. So instead of just doing it on a Saturday, maybe the odd horse race, I was now going on every night and you might be gambling on, as you were saying, stuff in the middle of the night or the next available thing. Um, but also the, the the amounts of money slowly started creeping up as well. So it was like a a progress, I suppose, or a continuum. Yeah, and I suppose the big thing here is the fact that it impacted your life, your employment life, so your career. Do you want to take us into that? This is the big jump now. Yeah, I suppose... To, uh, before maybe jumping into that side of it, there was one bet that I always say changed everything. And it was 2005. It was two years into my um, online gambling. Yeah. And it was the final of the UEFA Cup, now the Europa League. And um, CSK Moscow were playing Sporting Lisbon. And CSK Moscow were 1-0 down at half time. The match was on in Sporting Lisbon's ground as well that year. So that probably added to the price. But they were 10-1 to 1 to win the game. And I thought it was a really good bet. Because I've been watching them throughout the tournament. And got home, had a laptop at this stage, sitting in the sitting room. I got home at half time from work and my partner was sitting beside me. I remember even just turning the laptop slightly so she couldn't see how much money I was going to put on it. Because she knew I liked the bet. So she knew I went down on Saturday and I always said I'm only putting a fiver, tenner. But now I was kind of gambling 50s. Yeah. And I remember putting 50, I was going to put 50 euro on it to a 10 to 1, which would have been 500 euro win. And just as about to press bet now, I noticed that West Ham are playing Ipswich in the playoff semi-final like into the Premier League and I decided to put uh, Bobby Zamora in as, on the bet as well as first goal scorer so I did 50 euro double pushed, pushed down the laptop cover went up to have a shower came down and within 11 second half minutes um, Bobby Zamora scored the first goal and CSK Moscow gone 2-1 up now I let a big shout out of me and herself comes in and says what's the story Liverpool playing and I said no that's next week Champions League final and um I remember I said to her, just like, I'm, I have a tenner on, I have a few other bets in, but if this, if this team wins, I'm due to win about 500 euro. And she said, oh, that's great. And I, I said, even better, I'm going to give you most of it towards, you know, but we're getting married a couple of years there. I said, listen, put that towards the wedding. And um, then they scored a third goal and she was kind of invested in it a little bit as well. She coming in now checking, because obviously, you know, it was because it was a lot of money. And when the bet did come up after CSK Moscow won 3-1, Again, I, I kept the laptop away so you couldn't see it. But when I logged in, it now showed €4,950. So within the space of an hour, I won nearly €5,000. Now, instead of being delighted with that, I was kind of going, why didn't I put €100 Euro on it? Yeah. Why didn't I put €200 Euro on it? Yeah. I put it on the price Great. of the wedding, price of a new car. Now, I did take the um, €500 Euro out and give it, give it to herself. I kept €100 Euro and probably bought a couple of CDs or something for myself as well. I put €1,500 Euro thereabouts back onto the credit card as paying off some of the the kind of loans or loan repayment on it. 
but I left 3,000 euro on my online account to gamble with. And you kind of see this free money then. Um, what happens, I started doing bets of 100 euro and 200 euro. And if you're doing 200 euro and 100 euro bets, it won't take long to go through 3,000 euro if you're not oh. winning. And it's hard to go back then to the 10 and exactly. bet, isn't it? So then what happens is you lose the 3,000 euro. I lost a lot of it around the Champions League final in 2005 with Liverpool. And then you went chasing it. And then um, I started chasing that then. So your whole psychology nearly flip-flops and you start chasing the 3,000 euro. Because you, you don't think that I'm after starting with 50 euro. You think I'm after losing 3,000 euro. And then you chase. And then well, next essentially thing, you did. Yeah. Like that next, was your own money. Yeah. And you start chasing the 3,000 euro and then you lose 5,000 euro on your credit card. And then you go to the bank, get a loan, top it up, start the whole process again. And fast forward on two years later when I get married, I'm about 25,000 euro in debt before I get married. All gambling related. So it very much, very quickly started to impact life. And does anyone in your family have an inkling that no. this is going on? Not until it came to light in, in the weekend, 29th of June, 2011. People knew you liked the bet. It was only afterwards then people said, oh, that's why you were so withdrawn. That's why, you know, even the night your stag party you went missing for three hours because you were down at Paddy Powers when all the lads were in celebrating your stag party. That's why you were more stressed at your wedding. That's why, you know, you were just a shell of a person for lots of times. Um, like, People notice a change in my persona, would never put it back down to gambling. Um, but there was changes within me. How bad did it bring you mentally? Very low. Like, like you know, I'd very much at the end, I'd suicidal ideation. Um, you know, like, again, I can chat about that later on. But, like, I, I was in a hotel room in Carrick Fergus thinking of taking my own life. Yeah. So, like, it starts off as a one-one bed and then it, it builds up to that. So, when... So, this is... I jumped ahead a bit. So, when does this jump happened what year are we talking 08 so 07 was when I got married yeah. so um, two weeks before the wedding I'm 25,000 euro in debt we're supposed to have 6,000 euro on my credit card to pay the balance of the wedding and my wife to be had been giving me money to pay off the credit card and um, I wasn't I was trying to win back all the other money so any money was coming in was gambling it. and then I was I remember even um, you know a couple of about a week before the wedding thinking how am I going to get this money so I went into the credit union and I said, can I get a loan of €6,000 for a wedding? And they said, no, we can't give you money. You've got too many top-ups in the last 12 months. And I go into my bank. They say the same. So I'm kind of weak before the wedding and kind of going, how am I going to get this money together? So what I do is I start selling all possessions, trying to win. You know, I'm putting it online and they're putting money onto the account, trying to win the exact amount. And then, like... Um, you know, we, we got a present of the we got a present of the wedding, the balance as a present. And so I thought I was after getting no trouble here. So I arrive over to um, Cyprus, like 80 of us went over for the wedding. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there. I had an old Nokia 3210 at the time, like smartphones running coming in. So I was there. I used to ring in my bets. So like even when I was ringing in bets, I used to know my 16-digit credit card and were off by heart and was ringing it in. So I knew that I couldn't ring in bets over there. I didn't bring my laptop with me. So I'm thinking, I'm over here, I'm after getting, I'm after getting out of jail as, as such with the um, with the present. Yeah. Sitting there thinking, I'll be fine, I'll fix the other bit when I get home. But part of me was always thinking as well that my you know my fiancé thinks there's another 6,000 in the credit card, so she could ask for extra while we're over there. Or, so part of me is always thinking, I need to get this back quickly as well. So I'm over in Cyprus, um, 40 of us arrived the first night, drinks and arrival, dancing, singing for the night. Going to bed that night, I noticed a couple of PCs in the foyer of the hotel with internet access. So my thing was, well, maybe I can have a few bets when I'm here. And then you're also thinking, well, I'm worth getting a bit of cash as present, so I can I can use some of that to pay off the hotel and use some on the credit card. So I start gambling. And, you know, the first morning I sneak down, put in the Cypriot pound, 
and lose a couple of hundred euro off the bat and then you start panicking again. So then by the afternoon you're down a thousand euro, then you're down two thousand euro, then you're down four and then a couple of days before the wedding I put two thousand euro on a horse to try win it all back. The horse gets beaten by a neck and I'm there sitting in the hotel bar thinking, shite, what am I going to do? It was two days before the wedding. And my friend even came in and said, are you okay? My best man, are you okay? He said, you haven't been, you know, yourself since we arrived. And of course I fobbed them off saying I was just wedding nervous. And then I remembered, I went online to get a free bet and I remembered that I had an ongoing bet that I'd forgotten about. And two of the, two of the parts of the, the four-part accumulator had already won. Derby County were playing that night in the playoff final. They barely won 1-0. So three parts of the accumulator out of four um, had won when I'm going in to celebrate my wedding. And I know there's a horse race two days after the wedding. That horse has to win. If that horse doesn't win, I have no way of paying for this wedding. And I was stressed during the day of the wedding. Like I was... Should, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it for what I should have. Uh, what it should have been it was tarnished. Like of course, yeah. And um, <clears throat> and then two days after the wedding, I'm sitting in the hotel room. And my wife potted around behind me, oblivious to the fact that I needed um, this horse authorized, ridden by Frankie Dory to win the Derby for me to be paid for. It. I think there's about two and a half thousand euro going on to a six to four shot, and uh, he won. Now he came for. I remember watching the race, and I didn't like. I, I didn't understand the track, and he came from way back to win. And I'm sitting there and I go into the bathroom and I'm biting my fist trying not to kind of yell with just pure relief. And I get out of jail as such and I, the money comes onto the credit card and I pay the wedding. But you're kind of left with that thought of I shouldn't be waiting on a bet to pay for anything, let alone yeah. my wedding. And you kind of go, well, I'm going to try, I may try to fix this. You know how you get that moment of clarity? The problem is I'm sure you'll agree, like if you've had many guests on, you know, saying about talking about alcohol uh, addiction, you can't, it's commonly accepted, you can't drink away with an alcohol problem. You yeah. have to go for support or help but the gambler believes he's that one better way yeah. of fixing everything yeah. and that's what I done a couple of months later I, I went back to the bank got another couple of grand came up with this big plan of how I was going to win it all back because now I had to win 31,000 euro back and I started that whole process again roll on two weeks two years later sorry and I'm 45,000 euro in debt so that's how you roll these clips there um, if you haven't listened to the full episode I deal with voice to go over and listen it's powerful it's gripping just do it. Go over and do that. Um, Roy, next one, Calvin. It's the first live show from March. Yep, in March Liberty the 4th. Hall. In Liberty Hall. Um, Some jumped out, wasn't it? To jump into the live show. Yeah, I, I remember everything moving very quickly there. Um, I'm nearly sure. Now, in fairness, the concept of the live show wasn't really new to us. We knew it was coming, but with restrictions and everything... We weren't gonna do it where you could only do half capacity, and they what? Remember, they, there was a week or two where they chopped and changed it, so like yeah. you could do full capacity, and then the tickets would sell, and then they do half a capacity. So then you know you don't two nights, so you sort it out, you have your tickets or whatever. So we said we'll wait for all that to completely blow over before announcing it, and I'm nearly sure Michal Martin was on the podium in like the last week of February or middle of February announcing the restrictions being lifted. And our first live show with them was the 4th of March, as you said. So, like, that very quick turnaround, considering we had to sell the tickets and everything. Um, I remember announcing, I remember when, not announcing, I remember when we sat down and we were talking about doing the first live show and we had it locked in and this was a, a good few weeks before it. And we're all in the boardroom, we're chatting away and we're saying, yes, yeah, so March the 4th, yeah, we're all happy, boom, done. I remember thinking, now, that's ages away, this is lethal. And we're all talking about the content and being like... Oh, I think we should say this. What you should tell that story there and blah blah blah. And we got into that. And I remember thinking this is gonna be deadly. And then I was like, 
it was almost like I felt in my head it was so far away that it's fine. And then I was like, boom, you're behind the curtain. And you have 30 seconds. Get ready to walk out onto a fucking stage. It was definitely less than 30 days in the turnaround. Definitely less than 20, 30 days. Was it? Between announcing the ticket set, the show, tickets going on sale, and the show yeah, actually happened. Could have been, yeah. It definitely could have been, yeah. It, I remember, I remember it was a couple of weeks. I remember, I think we have a few weeks, like, well, grand. And then it was like... We didn't. <laughs> get ready to walk out onto a stage in front yeah. of a crowd. Like. But what I think is mad is that, like... You know, if you're a singer and you're growing up and you're singing, like, since you're a kid, you know, at some stage, you're going to have to go on the stage in front of people and perform. Like, when we started doing a podcast, I never thought that the shows were going to be a thing. Like, I never thought, you know, we'll do this live in front of a crowd one day. Like, that was never in the progression to me. Like, the progression to me was, you'll have a decent setup, you'll have video, and you'll have, like better production quality I was like that's the progression I never thought live shows was going to be somewhere you go to as well bro. so when that's all starts happening and as you said like you're behind the curtain waiting to walk out it's completely alien and no one can prepare you for it like that's why I think we have no structure for a live show we don't like I know we try and say like oh it has to be a podcast but then like why does it have to be a podcast yeah you know what I mean there's something special about them is that and I love looking out into the crowd. Everyone's dolled up. Everyone's just enjoying but themselves. But it's a night out. Yeah. Like, if you were to go to a concert tonight, you'd go home and you'd get dressed up to go. Like, you know, yeah, that's what people are even, doing for us. Yeah, it's the same. But even, like, you see the older side of the crowd and they're all at their table with their drinks and then you see the younger people and they're all dolled up. And everyone's... It's a really special feeling. And I think it's a really special crowd. And I don't, I don't credit us for that. Like, I think... That's just on the crowd. Like I just think there's so much happiness and love in the room. And everyone's just buzzing. Like everyone's there for the same thing. And they want us to do well. Yeah. I know that. Remember, I fucked up the story. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I forgot my story. I was halfway through telling the story and I forgot where I was going. I just went blank, and uh, the whole crowd just erupted. And I remember thinking, like these are actually do want us to do well because they be thinking, oh, what the fuck this up? They don't give a fuck. This is your favorite show, wasn't it? Yeah, it'll always be though. I don't care. Like, yeah. we could do Kroger tomorrow, sell her out to the backbone, have Ed Jordan on it, Lewis Capaldi and all. Why'd I pick two singers? Gerard and all coming out. But nothing will top that one. Because, like we said, we didn't know what to expect. What if we went down and we started talking and everyone was like, these are bleach. This is stupid. Like, yeah. imagine, like, like, I'm not saying, like, like if you bought a ticket, you're obviously going to enjoy yourself. But imagine if that is what happened. Like, that was going through my head. What if we went and we started talking and these are like, what's this all about? But it just, Mm-hmm. After that was like ah, inject her into me veins. I want more. It's mad because I, it's weird. I don't. I didn't get that high what you got, and I was saying it here. It's because it went exactly how I thought it was gonna go, in a non cocky way. But like I was like, this is what we prepared for. This is what we've been doing for over a year. So this is what we do, and even I said about you, you said I'm not going on that stage. I said the biggest problem we're gonna have with the live shows is we're not going to get you back into the studio not that we won't get you onto the stage it's that we won't get you back into the studio it's it's special isn't it but it's like uh, the worst thing about the live shows is the week of the live show and then the day of the live show is horrific 7.59 is the worst time of a live show yeah and 8 o'clock is the best it's the best you walk out and you erupt but uh, here's here's our first ever live show enjoy good evening and welcome to Liberty Hall 
Please put your hands together and raise your voice for the host of the biggest podcast in the country. This is Talking Bollocks Live with Terence Power and Calvin O'Brien! I want you to take your broom and sweep my yard. You better brush it good or we go fall apart. Don't give me no shotgun thing you have all day and night. I had to satisfy so you better do it right. What you waiting for? Liberty Hall on your feet, on your feet. Fucking what are you hell. doing? Open your scare, back up, up again. Yeah. Love it. Fucking right. hell. Whoa. What's happening? How are you, so good? <laughs> the dog that fell, how are you? <laughs> this is some crack, isn't it? Fuck me, we're robbing the living there. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a soul this place out, yeah? Neither of us tell jokes, neither of us have a note in the head, and he's had to sell in this place out. Yeah. <laughs> Where's yeah, your Gavin Power? Look at the Gavin Power, fella. Put your hands together. I tell you one thing, Terence. Where's your. Oh, I can't see a thing up here, that's mad. <laughs> Where's he? Look at him! <laughs> you definitely know you don't need to be guarded at the green hair anyways. Fucking hell! <laughs> Can we have a big cheer for anyone not from Dublin? <laughs> right, boys, get them, yeah, get them. <laughs> get rid of them. Cheer! What's happening? You thought you were nervous doing that podcast? <laughs> Fuck me, I'm waxed! Right, I'm going to ask you a big question, yeah? Now, I expect the answer to be no, but I'd be disappointed if it's no. Who bunked in? Get them! Right, them there, yeah! Get rid of all! Fucking hell! Oh, look at this! <laughs> I'm giving copios there. Fuck. Who's that flirting? <laughs> the mall's going after this, love, yeah? <laughs> Fuck. Right. What about Take the suits? What about it? If you zoom in close enough, it says the hip knocker. Fuck <laughs> me. Right, we break it down, yeah. So we have three guests on. So we're going to have two guests and an intermission, then another guest, and then there'll be a section at the end for a Q&A. So if there's any questions, say them to the end, yeah? Right, get the show on the road. Fresh, get the show on right, the road. Right, rock. My slacks are nearly at the portion. <laughs> Show me help on me. You need planning permission to get that help into them slacks. <laughs> right, now, honestly, thanks all you for coming out, like, you know what I mean? It's good to be in anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us, and we do appreciate it, so thanks very much. And I'm not being real to everyone in the corner there, it's just the way they have me seated, yeah? <laughs> all up there, you have the best seat in the house up there. Well, well, I can't anyone you there, put an egg from this seat, that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> right, Terry. 
Had he got the house lights on there or what's the crack? <laughs> Brian, what's happening here, mate? This is the way it is, yeah? You <laughs> need a pair of Ray-Bans with you. <laughs> Fuck me. Some Peter Pan sitting up here. <laughs> like Benadorm up here. Oh, no, I'm sure. Don't even mention Benadorm, will you know? <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. Right. Don't try to give me stage fright. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how professional oh, we are, by the way. Yeah? yeah, like, we don't know what to be saying. We don't know what to be doing. Like, I don't even know how he's all got out here. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? Uh, honestly, though. He was like, actually paid a doing? score for this. Like, yeah. <laughs> It was mad seeing us on blade and posters and all. It's like we were missing, you know what I mean? I went missing before, bro. I'm not joking. Ew. What you mean? Not in Benadorm, not in Benadorm. <laughs> this is a real story. Might as well tell it. <sighs> Fuck. I'll cut a long story short. I'll cut a long story short. Yeah, I went out one night, one Friday night. My phone went dead. Things got out of hand. I went home, charged the phone, realised it was Monday. So... <laughs> this is a real story, I'm not messing. So I went on, turned the phone on, the thing nearly blew up in my hand. I says, what the fuck is going on here? I thought someone was brown bread, you know? Went on to some page called Missing Persons Ireland had me up. <laughs> not a joke. Cardline, do you remember that? True story. Oh, he says, what the fuck is going on here? Thousands of messages, players come home, all this carry on. <laughs> oh, he says, I was in the mall, and his mad cunts on fresh. True story. <laughs> it's a true story. You went missing before as well. What? Oh, we allowed to tell this one? <laughs> when the podcast was late? Ah, uh, bro. <laughs> Not this thing in him there. That's what you get for mentioning Ben story. Walk away, tell fuck it. These are the boys, will you give her off? <laughs> fuck them. So this was in the height of lockdown, yeah? So I'm walking from home the last two odd year or whatever it was, and uh, I ring one of the boys, like, do you want to go over a walk? I'm in the gaff all day. So he says, yeah, grand, we do a lap around the block or whatever. So we're on the way home. I'm literally around the corner from my gaff, and the guy that I stopped in the middle of the road, and he went, here, come here. And I went, what? He goes, come here. I goes, I'm 27 years of age, I'm not walking over to you. He goes, what's your name? What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. So he gave me a name, gave me a address. And he goes, right. It says the same to me, mate. Yeah, grand. Next one, he takes out his notepad and starts writing it down and all. I was like, what are you doing here? He goes, I need to know your details in case you're outside your 5K. I was like, I live around the corner. I can see me gaff from here. And he goes, if you don't give me your address, I'm going to nick you. I goes, right, off you go. And I put my hands out. And he puts the handcuffs on me. I was sick. <laughs> Bollocks. Right. <laughs> it's a true story as well. So I end up getting nicked, yeah. They ring the guard of Antic down and collect me, I'm up in the joy. So I'm sitting there in Mount Joy, and they're processing me and putting me through or whatever, and he's like, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. So the copper who's nicking me, thinking I'm outside me 5K for the, the healthcare act or whatever, standing beside me, and the other copper signing me out, so he's like, what's your name? I was like, Calvin. So when they're telling me details, he's writing them down as well. And I was like, what's going on here? So I was like, O'Brien, and I was like, O, B, oh, and your man's like, you're taking the piss? I was like, no, wait, but this fella to catch up with you, like. <laughs> So when, when he gets me details, he goes outside then, he goes, can I get a warrant check for a Calvin O'Brien? And I was like, yeah, bleeding snaky bastard, you like, you know what I mean? Nick me on the healthcare act or whatever. So, uh, yeah, man, he was pulling me through, goes, I like your runners. I goes, do you? I don't, I'm, I'm surprised by that. And he goes, why? I goes, cultists don't have a fashion sense. 
And he goes, I'm a culture. I goes, yeah, you're a bugger. I goes, I guarantee you can't get deliveries to your gaff. And he goes, I'm not a culture. I'm from the town. I goes, mate, listen, you're a culture, yeah. They fucked me out of the joy. They came out of here. But the best thing about it was when you rang me and I goes, I oh, want to see what's had to happening to me. What did you say? You got nicked. He knew. I don't know how. I knew it. I've no convictions or anything. And he just yeah. knew I was nicked. Card Lion Power or something like that. I said to us straight away. So he's had to get nicked. Yeah, so he was nicked. The podcast was never late. I said, the only reason why that be late is if he's dead or he's nicked. But he rang me. Mm. So I knew he got nicked. It's a true story. Keith Crosby's episode was up an hour late. I'm back in the gaff fuming trying to upload it and all. Two true stories. Tell you now. Uh, we have to just do a bit of housekeeping, yeah, so you heard what your man said about the fire exits and all. Bear in mind, your nearest one might be behind you, you know, you're on a plane, like, do you know what I mean? So, I was also in a plane crash. <laughs> when? When you were a kid, like? <laughs> Last week. Sean Gannon, where's Sean Gannon's in here? Put your hand up. 30 years now, we were in a plane crash last Wednesday. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, I'm not joking. Oh, th- does it count as a plane crash if he drops you 50 feet out of the sky? <laughs> Fuck me, man. Choke slammed onto the runway. This was bad. I was winded. A little kid in front of me hopped off the ceiling. <laughs> I relapsed because I fell through Jack Daniels in my mouth. Was it Ryan Air? <laughs> Ryan Air. <laughs> True story again, yeah. but. Same thing happened to us. Same thing happened to us. We were uh, flying home at the Newcastle, yeah? Flying up, Ryan's been in the front there. We were landing, but it was very foggy out, so you didn't know when you were going to hit the runway. And Ryan was at the window looking at me, and we bounced off the ground, and he bounced his head off the window, and he was fuming. And Noel Quinn is sitting in front of him, and there he was, me fucking head, I'll fucking slap! And Noel Quinn's like that in front of him. What the fuck (laughs) is going on here? I'm telling you. Oh, so that's what we're dealing with anyways. Yeah. Uh, Right, someone's getting called out. Natalie Farrell. Oh, good luck, me nerves. Where is she? Who's Natalie Farrell? Don't be shy, love. A <laughs> fella has probably heard he lumped the head off. <laughs> <laughs> She's very quiet, and anyway, she won a competition, yeah. The secret award was tentative, and she sent in the goal out. She won two tickets, so I don't know why she's very quiet. For. She's not even here. No show. Block hole. Can you believe that, Doc? She sold him, did she? No, she's right. <laughs> I couldn't blame her to be honest with you but do you want to tell us sorry why the secret award was tentative no <laughs> I don't the wrecks me head I still haven't slept it's been about six months so just before Christmas right Darren Clary who's there but you so I was booking guests for us right so he's booking two guests I won't tell you who one of them was but I'll tell you who the other one was it was Tommy Turning and he reached out to Tommy Turning and he got onto him but he sent the email and he says hi Mr Tommy Harrington right <laughs> So I'll let you guess who the other guest was there, right? I won't tell you who the first name was. And he replied back and he was like, my name is Tommy Turning. And he goes, oh, sorry, would you be interested in going on to the lad's podcast? And he goes, I tentatively agree. But Terrence never heard the word tentative in his life. No, shall we, no, that. <laughs> shall we say, Tommy Turning's chalked in for the 13th of December. And I says, lovely. So I got to the 11th of December. <laughs> and I says, Tommy, on Monday, yeah? He says, he said tentatively, I haven't heard from him since. I said, what the fuck is tentatively? <laughs> What's tentatively mean? And he's standing there trying to explain to me what tentatively means. I said, I'll bounce something off your head. <laughs> so that's why the secret word was tentative anyways. It's the longest word Terence has ever heard of in his life. Oh, gives me anxiety thinking about it. 
Betty Woods. You little smell, the hell are you? You are, Betty! Love you at the bits, I do, you legend, yeah. <laughs> That's my auntie Betty. She lured me, the twins, and fucking everyone else in the family. <laughs> She's a black belt at making cuddles, that woman. <laughs> Don't like whole cuddle again, I mean it. I lumped the head off you. Roy! We do a few singles, will we? Look for it! Good luck. Please split them slacks in there. Roy, so how we're gonna do it, yeah? So stand up for yes, sit down for no, or whatever, yeah? Ah, oh, Vanessa, I didn't even cop you there. What's happening? <laughs> oh, stop. Kick us off, Terry. Go on. What, are we doing singles, yeah? Yeah, kick us off. Go on. Right. Well, I want you to stand up and sit down for it, yeah? Not just hands up and all. Right, so, just call it the pictures or the cinema. Stand up for the pictures. So is you. Give me a look. Hey, so Floyd, really. give us the house, Lloyd. Will you, bro? No? Shit, <laughs> Yeah, knock them lights off. We'll have of these cunts epoxy looking. <laughs> That's about what? A 60 40? Ah, isn't it? A 60 40 uh, No, it's not. Oh, 80 20. You can't count. Floyd, take a seat, take a seat, relax. Just right. get back up in a minute. So stand up. Stand up if you're pissing the shower. Lawyer, yeah. lawyer, 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 I had to drop and a half ounce up to him there. Look at him. <laughs> but, yeah, leave it with you. We know what you like. Right, come here. What's the other one? House coat or dressing gown? Is it a house coat or a dressing gown? Stand up for house coat. Fifty-fifty. Fifty-fifty. 50-50. Hey. you call her a house coat, you lawyer, yeah? <laughs> I know the younger on me, like, he's acting posh in front of people and all. He was younger I got nicked with. <laughs> oh, Gav, what were you saying there? Don't be sure. Yeah, she's right, it's a Gav coat. Gav jacket, Gav jacket. It's a Gav jacket. It's mad, isn't it? Oh, I still can't believe this. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, now honestly, you still know the stress that went into planning this. Air nerves are gone all week, yeah? Oh, said, this is like planning you a wedding. Push me out here. It's like, honestly, it's like planning a wedding and someone said, you don't have to keep your mother-in-law happy. But my mother-in-law is here, and what's the story? Yeah! I told her I was going to give her a shower when she said I wouldn't. Little cracker. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. That was a sentimental clip because it's our first live show.
and keeping on that team, the next clip I'm going to play is of your two brothers, Tardens. So we kind of flirted with the idea of getting them on. And it's like I know we mentioned it a lot. Like a lot of people say, oh, get me on, get me on, this, that, and the other. And they think they'd be deadly. Them two are prime example of how hard it is to come in and sit down and just do this. Yeah, it's um, the, and if you talk to them now, they'll tell you that yourself. Yeah, like, should Gav we was, still give Gav stick? Like, Gav wasn't on, Jerry was on. Yeah. Gav wasn't there. But I think, look, although we have that laugh about that, there's certain points in that episode where they were very, very good when they actually fucking talked. Yeah. Like, there's certain, because I only listened to it recently and I was thinking, they're actually solid points that they're hitting here. Do you know what I mean? Like things that they wanted to talk about when they came in about like about common things like the struggles of growing up in working class areas and the flats especially where we're from and stuff like that and how tough it was for us growing up. So I think I think they made some good points in it. No, they definitely did, and it is very sentimental and very personal as well. Like this mm. is not somebody coming in, but like you are great. I love your podcast. These are like two young people who know you more than anyone else. Yeah, like you are literally cut from the same cloth. You're the same fucking DNA, like. Um, they make a very good point and how they get the point across is brilliant as well they're basically talking about how much of a prick you used to be when you used to drink and <laughs> what it was like living with you yeah. and how it was what the best part about it is you see the pain in their heart what like it's coming from a genuine place like you're their brother so they're emotionally invested in you how your life turns out matters to them you're not one of the boys, you're the fucking brother. Mm. So for them to see you go down that road it was heartbreaking for them. But can you imagine what it's like now for them to look at that and be like, Terence Power is my little brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine how proud it makes them. Imagine how fucking fulfilling it is for them because they have their brother back. And yeah. they, I think they say that there is in this clip now, they say it. It's mm. like you were a horrible brother. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember that bit. That's one of my favourite bits from every episode. I love it because they'd never actually said it to me like that before. And maybe because they'd have been like, they, they wouldn't have known what reaction they would have got from me, you know, the type of way. So that's one of my favourite bits from all the episodes. Because it was a tough pill to swallow as well. To sit there and like, obviously I love my brothers, you know what I mean? So it's a tough pill to swallow to see two people you love sitting there and say like, you were a shit brother, you were a shit friend, you were hard to be around. Like it's a tough one to take, like, but but I get it as well, and I I know they're proud of me now as well. So I think the best part about it is they they literally say exactly how it is. Like you were a horrible person, but now look at the change in you, and that change came from sobriety is number one, of course. But then the podcast structure, routine, having to deliver every week. Mm. Like without the podcast, there's no way in hell I would still be sober. There's no way in hell. That's why I get a lot of messages off people saying, like, have you any tips and advice? And, like, the main thing I try and say is, like, routine, structure, get something going, set goals for yourself. But I can't really talk on behalf of anyone else either, so I don't want to get down that route. But for me, like, the podcast was that for me, you know, that type mm. of way. So, like, without that, I would have been fucked. There's a lot of educational sense in this podcast that I don't think people really, from the outside, you don't, until you, like, kind of strip back a couple of layers and be like, there's a lot to be learned in a lot of episodes. Even the ones where it's just the two of us and we're just acting the bollocks and talking shit for a while. We do touch on some things and I think we hone in on things as well a lot. Um, and the guests we have on, we try our best to have a diverse range of guests because we don't want to be pigeonholed and we like to have anyone listening 
any episode out of 100 odd episodes and be like, I'm going to listen to episode 85 today. And be like, you know what? I took something from that. I'm going to listen to episode 65 today. Do you know what? I took something from that as well. Yeah. And it can help people. So imagine we've a couple of hundred hours there worth of content. Imagine you can go through each one of them and just pick out little bits. Mm. And that's what, well, I don't know about you, but that's like subliminally, that's what I'm trying to do. You know yeah, what I mean? That's the, yeah, that's the that's, main that's, And it's not just helping people learn, it's helping me learn. Yeah. I know it's helping you learn. Yeah. And it's helping you understand different topics and different people and it gives you a new way of thinking when a problem does arise in the world. When you see something on the news, you'll be like, this is how I think of that now. But even I know perspective's this. changing. That's what I mean. I remember yeah. even talking, I, I can't finger point what episode it was, but talking about... Um, addicts and homeless people and how they're treated and we were saying like if you just stop and talk to them for a minute you'll realise they're human beings like Brian Penny's episode it was and uh, look I remember the amount of messages we got off people then like in the couple of weeks after that and even months after of people saying like I sat down with a homeless person today and I had a good chat and he was telling me about his life and thanks very much for explaining that because now I see that in a different light and them type of things are, are really special yeah do you know what I love about the podcast as well is it's you don't have to be mutually ex- like exclusive to a podcast. Something married to a podcast. It's not like a football team. Whereas like you can only follow Liverpool. You can't be following Liverpool and sports. But with podcasts you can. You yeah. can listen to us. You can listen to as many podcasts as you want. That's a good thing. It's not like I only listen to talking bollocks and nothing else. But there's so many podcasts out there. You can listen to us. You can listen to Blind Boy. You can listen to whoever else. You can listen to as many as you want as long as you have the time in the day to do it. That's what I love about podcasts. So if there's something that you don't pick up from us and you can find somewhere else, that's absolutely fine. And that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you develop these skills of dealing with people who have different opinions than you. So you're not just like, look, this is me and that's it. Educate yourself through some sort of uh, some sort of means. But yeah, we're getting hung up on this. Here's Gavin and Jer. What was it like growing up with him? <laughs> Like, oh, like honestly, like when me and Jay, like even as kids, when we used to fight, like we'd have a little strain our hair and there and burn off each other. Yeah, off each other, just me and Jay, you know what I mean? But it's like you don't want to cross paths with the third and silly. Like I remember, even when we were kids, like me and Jay always had a, a like, a, a, what, what would you call it? A limit? Like we wouldn't go like so far on each other, you know mm. what I mean? But like, ter- I remember me and Terrence had a strain that day one day, and he's only a kid. And I walk away and he hits me with an ashtray in the back of the head. <laughs> so I kind of think, I say, I have to something up with this fella, you know what I mean? Like, he's bleeding off his rocker. Wait, and obviously it gets kind of a bit worse and all as he gets older, you know, he's a bleeding mad thing. So. Trying to slow your at you and all? Oh, hell. No, no, that was me. We had a few drinks. It was around. One night, we had, we had a few drinks. <laughs> one night yeah. we did, me and Jay. Things are going on, right? No, like nothing even going on. I think, I, I don't know. I said something. I started more. I said something to mine. I said, you red cunt or something. The 30 fella fella starts on me. I'm like, hell. I said, it's only a laugh and a joke, whatever. <laughs> Like, no, it was three. Like, there was nothing even going on. <laughs> so this fella, I'm walking out with a gaff and all and... Oh my God, this fella gives me a slow dig from the heavens, <laughs> tries to put me into a coffin with this show, I swear to God, 
Or the man bath hoon around me, we should stand in there and I was like, Meg. You're getting it. It didn't matter if he ran or not, I was going to catch him. <laughs> that was me whole thought process. You told me this story from your side and he goes, I'm putting him out with this dick. You yeah. said it to me, he goes, well, I'm putting him out with this, I'm telling And he goes, I heard him and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like bollocks and he turned around. It was the best slow dig on the north side, boys. <laughs> not that good, bro. I believe him, brother turned around and goes, you had to flick him in. <laughs> 99% strike rate. He's the only man that got out of the <laughs> <laughs> I remember he's walking ahead of me and I says, I have to send him to the girl, like, because he's going to batter me, you yeah. know what I mean? So he's walked, took a few steps ahead of me and I says, fuck it, I pulled him out of his pocket. Boom! <laughs> Back in the head. He stumbles a few feet forward and jams on, doesn't hit the floor. I says, if I run, he's, he's still going to catch me. <laughs> so I just put the dukes up, didn't I? <laughs> Oh, oh, it was in the matter for about 12 days. I was broke. Sitting in the matter, me now on back the front. He says, That's why me now is. You actually ended up in the matter, didn't oh, you? Yeah, I was in the matter all night. I was me now. Face inside out. Yeah, oh, it was broke up. But yeah, you have to throw it out slow. You hook if you know you're getting the hiding, boys. But with Titans, like, Titans was always that type of kid that, like, kind of obsessive as a kid as well mm. you know and it's the same with like playing with the playstations and stuff like that you know you could never get him off it if it, it's his do you get me yeah. but like obviously as he gets older he starts going into the drinking scene and you weren't even into the drink weren't you not like at the very start yeah. wasn't it wasn't into the nightclub scene yeah no, and then what happened never. was it just escalated and escalated until you obviously you touch on yourself you, you just get to it you're out of control that you know, you're the type of person that, like, obviously, my brother, I love you the bitch, you're the type of person that you couldn't even approach. You know, if you're with Harden Dre, you'd be sitting here, we were all having a laugh, you'd say something to him, like, ah, shut up, you. You know, like, nothing. Mm. You, you don't mean any harm with it, but you could say it to him two minutes after, and he's looking to have his strainers off, you know, you're like, what the fuck? You know, like, that's, that's, the, that's the way he ended up, and that was through drink and obviously drugs and stuff, you know. Um, but, like, Looking at you now, like I'm absolutely so proud yeah, of you. Like, you're like, it's you yeah, actually are a different person, turns out, right? And mm. only for the better as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I say it, I grew up with the young, the three of us have been through, you know, a lot of shit together from yeah. from an early age. And like, you are, you are complete. Like, going back even three months ago, like, as time goes on, you're only getting better as a person. The podcast. Absolutely, like yeah, people love it. Is that absolutely loved? What is that down for? Mental health, hitting hard topics. You know, you you don't shy away from that, and it's yeah. just brilliant. Like it really, really is. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm just chuffed yeah. to you, and I, I wish nothing for the best for the boat. Is out straight. Now out straight. I only want to want to touch on this a little bit. Yeah, like as Jay was saying, he he hit the drink and the drugs, obviously. Um, but like he was hard to be around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he was he was a shit brother. He was shit friend. He was constantly looking for trouble, constantly fighting, unapproachable. Do you know what I mean? He was just a horrible person. And now, like, he's had to get himself together. And honestly, like, if you just seen this young fella now, like, what he used to be, he was a monster. And where he is now, he's, he's the nicest young fella you'll ever meet. It's just the change that he's had to go through from making them little life, like, them little habits, yeah. like, good habits, like, running, Fitness, exercise, sobriety. all that, all, yeah, sobriety, yeah, all them things. Like it's, it's just amazing. Mm. Like he's a, mm. he's a new person. I'm fair play to. So that was Gavin and Jay's episode or clip there. If you want to listen, or to just Jared even. Yeah, <laughs> just Jared. Fuck Gav, yeah. Um, if you want to listen to the full episode, uh, go over and do so. Um, next one up, we're gonna finish her up now. We're a little sing song from the main man, Christy Dignam. 
Um, Christie's a legend. Christy gave us all the time in the world the first time we met him. Um, kept open the contact. Open his gaff. And <laughs> you forgot the mics. And uh, he just has all the time in the world for us. We have all the time in the world for him. Um, I remember even... A, Remember a couple of weeks ago, a yoke went down with the paper and he's talking about us saying there's two Dublin lads at the old podcast. That's before we got him back in. That's yeah. what triggered it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, that randomly just went in the paper, though. He didn't tell us that. No, he just done an interview when he meant he plugged us in it. Yeah, and we it was were like, like the two Dublin lads who we should get him back in. And we were like in a party with him, and the party was obviously. Gold. That was another thing, kind of like the demo, where you're like, you want them to sing, but you don't want to be cheeky and ask them to sing. Yeah. And then we were like, right, if you got him back in for the part two, we'll get him to sing at some stage, but how do you get that going? And then we seen that in that interview we done. Mm. We're like, this, a bit, no better time than now than ask him. And he come in, and uh, we are kind of beating around the bush for the whole episode with him, wasn't it? And he's yeah. like, right, just want me to fucking sing, I'll sing then. Yeah. And he yeah. just sings two songs a cappella then. He sings, eh. Uh, Waltz and Matilda this one of my favourite songs great tune Shane McGowan actually does a great cover of it it's a uh, do you know the song Waltz and Matilda no Waltz and Matilda itself it's like an Australian folk song I know and now Christy told us yeah but it's about it'd be like the fields of Roy, but for Australian people yeah, basically yeah, yeah. they sing at all the rugby matches and all mm. it's about a fella who roams around the outback in Australia robbing animals or farmers and all but he ends up getting uh, they hang him for robbing bleeding so I think he robs a pig off somebody but uh, yeah, because of rallies people together, they used to sing it when they were going off the war. And it's a, as he says in the clip, it's an anti-war song because uh, there's a lot of young blitz who were shipped off the fight of war that did no business being in and how it decimated everyone. Before we get into it, look, we just want to say a big thanks to everybody for listening to us this year. Well, grateful for every single one of us, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts. There's not enough words you can say. You don't really, you don't really know what to say anymore. Um, but... We're growing, we're getting bigger. It's all thanks to yours. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it and we hope next year it's going to be even bigger. Yeah, you are the biggest advertisement for this podcast. So, you are the ones who are sharing us around. You are the ones who are telling your mates to listen. You are the one who put us onto your colleagues and work. Um, so often we'd get stopped by somebody who was a big fan of the podcast and then a friend who hasn't listened or only started recently listening. And that's absolutely fine. I've no problem with people only jumping on board. That's just means you have a lot more to listen back through. Um, but yeah, as Darren says, we've uh, we've no words to really kind of sum up what, how we feel about it all. So just thanks. That's probably the best word I can think of. And uh, we'll see you all in 2023. Happy New Year, girl up there. When I was a young man, I carried me pack and I lived the fair life of a rover. From Murray's Green Basin to the dirty outback, I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1916, my country said, son, it's time to stop your rambling, there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun and they sent me away to the war. And the band played waltzing Matilda as the ship Pulled away from the quay, but amid all the cheers, flag waving and tears, we were sailed off to Gallipoli. 
Tis well I remember that terrible day when our blood stained the sand and the water. And in that hellhole they called Suvla Bay, we were butchered like lambs to the slaughter. Johnny Torkey was ready, he primed himself well. He rained us with bullets and he showered us with shell. And in five minutes flat, we were all blown to hell. Nearly blew us back home to Australia. And the band played waltzing Matilda as we stopped to bury our slain, and we buried ours, and the talks buried theirs, then it started all over again. Well, those that were living, they tried to survive in this mad world of blood, death and fire. And for ten weary weeks I kept myself alive, though the corpses around me piled higher. Then a big Turkish shell blew me arse overhead, and when I awoke in my hospital bed, and I saw what it done, oh, I wished I was dead. Never knew there were worse things than dying. So no more I'll go waltzing, Matilda, across the green bush far and near, for to hump tent and pegs, a man needs both legs. No more waltzing, Matilda, for me. So now every April I sit on my porch and I watch the parade pass before me. I see my old comrades, how proudly they march, renewing past dreams of past glories. And the old men march proudly, all bones stiff and sore. They're forgotten heroes from a forgotten war. And the young people ask, what are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question. And the band played waltzing Matilda, and the old men still answered the call. But year after year, their numbers get fewer. Someday no one will march there at all. Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda, who'll come a waltzing Matilda with me? And their ghosts can be heard as they march past the billabong. Who'll come a waltzing Matilda with me? Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Light app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little The hip knocker.